Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. Or maybe this time I should be calling it the Manga Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dawn, a.k.a. Usamimi. And today is a very nice day because with me is a returning guest from uh, <laughs> quite some time ago. Five uh, years. Five <laughs> years. <laughs> Please welcome back to the show, Casey. Welcome back, Casey. Hello. Uh, also known as Manovsky article. That's right. <laughs> it's great to be back. Uh, yeah, it has been five years where even our nostalgia is nostalgic. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited to be here. and I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, uh, old school manga, because that means I didn't have to watch any anime to prepare and I can talk <laughs> about stuff I already know. <laughs> We were talking before about how, like, I realized like, it's been so long since I've had you on. And that's that's kind of my bad because I just, I didn't feel like I had uh, something that was, like, up your alley for a while. And, but this time, you know, for, for the month of November, uh, it's Thanksgiving time. Some of us are going to be, you know, stuck at home with not a lot to do. It's my birth month, so, you know, there's that. Right, it's also your birthday soon. I well, I, I was born on Thanksgiving, so. <laughs> Aw, well, double every, cool holiday. So every uh, every few years, like, this cycle from it, uh, <laughs> it is my birthday again. Aww. <laughs> well, that makes it double special. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, you know, it would be really fun to sort of uh, bookend the year, but I'm... Uh, with a episode of Mongo Recommendations, uh, because earlier this year I did one of just like, you know, some old school anime recommendations for people who were just like, you know, having to work from home more often, needed something to maybe listen to in the background while they did work from home stuff or whatever. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people are staying home now. Uh Still, <laughs> yeah. at least I hope so. I hope you're staying home when you can, please. If stay you're listening, safe, read manga. Yeah, stay, stay safe, stay home, read manga, have fun, catch up on those backlogs. And, you know, if you are looking for something new to read, if you are lucky and do not have a backlog and you're looking for something new to read, uh, that's where we come in. I yeah. recruited Casey and was like, hey, what if we each picked five older manga titles we really liked and we recommend them and we talk about them uh, just in case you were like, hmm, I am very undereducated in classic manga. What are what are some titles that I can read or should read or or maybe I'd never heard of before? Well, we're here to help you with that. <laughs> well, and 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 in doing this, uh, you you gave me kind of a couple like suggested guidelines. One which was that we're defining classic today as pre two thousand one. Yes, uh, and that it should be things that are fairly accessible to obtain at this point, like things that aren't gonna like break your bank necessarily by trying to find like crazy $600 volumes or something. Yeah, because that's the problem nowadays with, like, a lot of older titles that, you know, may be out of print now, is you try to find them online, and it's like, oh, uh, this person is selling a copy of Volume 6, and I need that, but it's 
78 dollars like it's, what? it's always a middle volume it always is oh it's frustrating so i didn't want to <laughs> torture any of y'all with something like that uh i tried to keep it to stuff that in some form or another is easily accessible to a point yeah i, and I think that's perfectly fine and also i mean we're kind of in a really great age of uh old school reprints again yeah like we're having sort of a renaissance of uh sorts with certain titles i mean just earlier this year if you're listening to this in a timely manner uh viz announced that they're going to be re-releasing fist of the north star like that's something i never thought would be uh picked up again but uh here we are that's huge huge uh I mean, also, we just got announcements that we're getting, like, Shitaro Ishinomori's uh, Super Sentai manga from Seven Seas. Yeah! That's wild. And and Viz also, speaking of Viz, I mean that you have all those Rumiko Takahashi reprints just this year. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty great. And, like, some stuff that's coming out soon, like, I'm really excited about all of these cool older titles, like... That for years I've been like, please reprint these because I want to recommend them to people and I don't want to tell them like, yeah, you should read this. Uh, You're probably going to have to shell out hundreds of dollars to read it. And I'm sorry. Like, like, I hate that. I hate that. So I'm really glad that that's not the case for a lot of these things anymore. It's it's very cool that we are getting all of these cool new reprints and uh, some things for the first time in print even, which is like super great. I'm so happy. Um, But yeah, so we each picked five, making a list of 10 classic manga titles uh, that we have collectively chosen. And we'll probably also do like honorable mentions throughout the episode. Oh yeah, we said five. I am going to name 20 to 30 books (laughs) into this, I'm sure. So stick around. Uh. Yeah, by by the end of this episode, you're going to have this very long list of things that you can either buy or uh, maybe check out from the library if you have access to um, curbside service. I know some libraries are doing that. Um, and there are some libraries that have uh, uh, overdrive accounts, which are digital copies that you can check out, which is very convenient. I've been utilizing that uh, way more lately, and it's very nice. <laughs> But uh, the other thing is I should also say that there are plenty of titles that I was like, ooh, I really like this, and I really like this. But I was like, but I'm pretty sure Casey will have them on his list. And vice versa. <laughs> so so there are, a, since there's a lot of overlap between our tastes, we like a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to play this weird game of chess where I'm like, I think Casey won't pick this and I think he won't pick this. So I'll pick these. I'm, I'm feeling fairly confident that you did not pick my list. So we will see. <laughs> Let's go. We never know. Okay. So since you are the guest and the birthday boy hey. uh let's have you go first what oh and also these are in no particular order no. we, we yeah, i did don't put the pressure on this no i did not ask to rank any of these because i myself am a super indecisive person so there's no way i would have been able to rank any of these at all so i didn't ask casey to do that either so these are in no particular order we like all of these they're all number one in our hearts for one reason or the other. Anyway. So yeah. So yeah. And also, you know, um, you know, following the criteria you, before I even say which ones I've picked, 
following the criteria pre 2001, I took to mean that at least a majority of the volumes came out before 2001. There are some ongoings that are, you know, quite old by this point that are still running. So, you know, so don't ask, you know, where's Berserk? Where's uh, Hunter Hunter? Where's I love all that stuff. Uh, I like JoJo's. I like all that stuff. But because it is still going and there have been so many volumes since then or maybe not that many in some cases for some of these. Uh, yeah, I just, I didn't go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, I didn't, I didn't put any Genji Ito on my list because I feel like any listener at this point knows Genji Ito. He, he's selling like gangbusters and we're likely to get everything he's ever published at some point in English soon. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, so, I agree. Happy to see it. Happy <laughs> to see it. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, I'll start with, um, Masashi Tanaka's gone. <laughs> That's uh, G- uh, gone with a G O N, and he is a little, uh, like two foot tall T Rex. Uh, Masaji Tanaka's Gone is an incredible comic. Like I, I think it is some of the best pure comics anyone has made anywhere. Yes, uh, I love yeah. Gone. Like I used to collect the, the really old volume when it was coming out, like in the nineties, like late nineties. Oh yeah, the Paradox Press volumes. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was manga for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Masashi Tanaka's Gone, uh, yeah, Gone is a tiny T Rex who travels around in like incredibly detailed drawn uh, animal comedy adventures that sometimes get really dramatic. Uh, but like gone is just this tiny T-Rex that exists in, I guess, modern times, but we never see technology or people. Uh, he can wander from b- between story from between chapter to chapter. He can be in any country, any climate, any environment, and he'll just encounter different kinds of animals. Uh, sometimes gone is a protector of prey animals against, you know, predators. Sometimes he's just a total bully who is uh, driven by his own appetites. Uh, just where this series really wins is in just the astoundingly good illustrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tanaka, all of Tanaka's animal drawings are just so detailed and so wonderful and so like real in some ways, but he always gives them just enough of a turn into the cartoonish where like, his he can just do incredibly incredible physical comedy and there are some spreads that just are to die for uh i one of the reasons i picked gone also is that it's it's relatively short i mean he really only published about seven volumes worth of material Mm -hmm. um and i do know that some of i i I hesitated to suggest this because i know that some of the volumes uh, Kodansha reprinted it most recently, but it's been printed several times. But some of the volumes are a little difficult to find now. However, because these comics are wordless, you can you can import any copy from anywhere and understand exactly what's going on. Yeah, these pretty are, much. These are comics that can be universally understood uh, and universally beloved by all ages. I I just think they are some of the best comics money can buy um yeah in my collection i have i have a french copy i have a i have a japanese copy i i ordered an italian box set uh oh. for because there's a really fancy one out there but it's it's taken a long time uh for covid reasons to import mm-hmm. um understandably yeah. but yeah so you could just buy a copy from anywhere and you're good to go mm-hmm. um 
I think the first chapter title in English is just Gone Eats and Sleeps. Uh, <laughs> oh, what a mood. Yeah, and it tells you exactly what to expect. But yeah, there's just, there's incredible stories of like, you know, animal comedy. And then there'll be like a whole volume where he's swimming with baby sea turtles and seeing all the perils they undergo. Or he ends up in a, like a, a subterranean tunnel chasing ants and like fights all these like giant cave creatures. And then he'll be back and just, you know, harassing koalas or, you know, like, you know, like beating up a beating up a bear or, you know, eating hallucinogenic hallucinogenic mushrooms with the same bear. Uh, I was going to say, like, the one that always sticks out in my brain. I don't know why, but the one that I always think of is the one where he eats the mushroom. It's so funny. It's so funny. Like snot nosed, like total drug trip. But like (laughs) as an animal comedy, it's. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And also, if Gone seems familiar to you and you have not read uh, this manga, it, he was an unlockable guest character in Tekken 3. Yes! Yes! Oh my god. I remember, like, I hadn't uh, I hadn't played that game before uh, when I was reading the comic. So when I finally did play that game and I unlocked Gone, I was like, oh, it's the love dinosaur! <laughs> I was like so excited. He's here. <laughs> it's him. <laughs> My but man's yeah. gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this is a great choice too because I feel like it's so overlooked. I know like it back in the day, I remember it got widely praised in comic book magazines and comic journals and but like nobody bought it. I was so sad because I would I would tell people like, "Oh, have you ever read this great comic called Gone. And they'd be like, what, Gone? Like G-O-N-E. And I'm like, no, no, Gone. (laughs) The little dinosaur. And nobody would ever know what I was talking about. But you are so right. Like, the artwork is stunning. And literally, there's no talking. Like, I think the only text in it is, like, usually sound effects. Like, that's that's about it. Yeah. uh, The the, the old Paradox Press uh, releases did have, like, a little... They'd have like a little like chapter paragraph before it, like where the editor would give like a little thought about the story or like, oh, you know, it looks like Gon's going to get into a wacky adventure with penguins this time. Right. You know? But like, yeah, no, it's it's just it's so understandable. Like this is a comic you could hand to a child mm-hmm. and they would get it right away with no oh, yeah. complication. Totally. Totally. It's it's really good. I like and the the covers are so beautiful, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I really loved those covers. The color artwork was always like super nice. Uh, and, and, and it's really nice too, because like almost all of the art in the interior is just as pretty as the covers. Like, it Oh yeah. Inside now, one of the most beautiful comics money can buy and you can find them all fairly cheaply, no matter where you get the copy from in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I ha- I don't, I can't remember if I have the whole thing, but I have most of them, I think. And it's usually like I'll be in a used bookstore and I'll be like, oh, look, they have gone and I'll just mm-hmm. pick it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can still find even some of the Paradox Press copies for like eleven dollars, seven dollars, ten dollars, mm-hmm. like uh, even now. So, yeah, gone. Masashi Tanaka. Go find it. It's wonderful. And I'm going to throw in a real quick honorable mention because it is a book I thought a lot about. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and and if you have this on your list, we can cut this. <laughs> um, but. Uh, Makoto Kobayashi is What's Michael? No, I almost did pick that one, but I th- I was like, mm, I think Casey might pick that one. Yeah, Maybe. so 
So What's Michael just got a really nice omnibus uh, reprint from Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. At least they reprinted the first half in an omnibus. And then uh, the second half quietly slipped off their uh, upcoming books list. So I'm hoping that's not a sign of Dark Horse being Dark Horse. Oh. Uh, but, I'm ho- but you know what? Either way, even if that's all we get, what we have is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it is tonally very different from Gone. <laughs> yeah, very different. Uh, there's a lot of words. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes Michael, you know, Michael is an orange, uh, is a fat orange tabby cat. Uh, and he gets involved in lots of comedy. And some of the stories are just like, here's just a really well-observed cat humor about how cats behave. And other times they'll be like, here's Michael's interactions with like Yakuza, our strange people, or his owners who don't understand. Or mm-hmm. out of nowhere, like Kobayashi will draw like, a, a dozen pages of choreography where mm-hmm. it becomes like a manga musical. Like <laughs> yes. it, it's just, it's beautiful comics. It's really fun. Uh, mm-hmm. And also like, you've probably seen what's Michael from like all those like out of context violence accounts or whatever, where like they'll just post like a gif of what's Michael, like the, the cat, like dressed as a wrestler doing cat wrestling or something. <laughs> yeah. I was going to bring up, he, he likes to do a lot of wrestling jokes in that series. I love him for it. <laughs> a lot of old, like, uh, pro rest jokes. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. If you're, that, if you're, like, a fan of, like, 90s all Japan or <laughs> 80s, 80s New Japan, you're good to go. Yeah, some of it goes over my head because I'm not in that uh, fandom, as it were. But uh, but I appreciate that they're there for the people who do like that. <laughs> yeah, if, like, if, you care about, if you care a lot about, like, Masawa and Kobashi, like, you're, this is for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, just... Fun comedy comics, and they go well together. Two orange animal favorites. Yay! Oh, we love them. We love big, dumb orange animals. Well, as, as we are both orange cat owners. Yeah! <laughs> there you go. I mean, I was at one point considering naming my cat Michael, but I thought that was a little too on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Okay, so this one is probably going to be like super obvious for people who listen to my podcast. And I told myself I was going to not pick titles that I've already done like full episodes about and stuff like that. But I kind of cheated with this one because I want more people to read it. I'm very selfish. Uh, So (laughs) my first uh, choice, my first manga choice is Urusei Atsura by Rumiko Takahashi. (laughs) Hey! Yay! And yeah, I'm sure like regular listeners are like, yeah, yeah, like we didn't see that coming. <laughs> but she's right. Yeah, but I am right. I am always right. <laughs> but this so. is a brand new retranslated full release. Uh, that Viz has been doing lately. Uh, you know, back in the day, way in the way back when we were younger, <laughs> yes. uh, Viz attempted to release Urusei Atsura as Lum Urusei Atsura and then Lum Returns uh, later when they tried to bring it back uh, the first time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like floppies and then you could get like one big pink volume. Yeah, yeah. But they they ended up canceling it after a handful of volumes because it just wasn't selling that great which is a shame because this 
manga is so funny and so good. And, you know, I did a whole episode about Urusei Atsura a couple years ago when the uh, 40th anniversary of the series passed. And I, but I still am like, please <laughs> read Urusei Atsura. Especially now, I mean, we have Inuyasha's kind of back in fashion. Sometimes people still talk about Ranma because those Blu-rays are still kind of floating around out there. Um, but, you know, Urusei And I would be very surprised if Ranma doesn't have like a reprint on the horizon after these are done. I mean, we did get a reprint like, a, I want to say, uh, gosh, it's been at least six years, I think. Yeah. Uh, they did the, they basically did the same thing that they were doing with these uh, Urusei Atsura volumes which is like a big omnibus re-release mm-hmm. um and they did i think it was a retranslate they at least re- did retouch ups on the um the sound effects and whatnot i didn't check to see if the translation had been updated or not um but in this one they in usa yachts are definitely retranslated yeah they've def- they've definitely retranslated it because you know back in the day when they first released this it was flipped to read american style and it was all re-lettered by hand. Like, this was pre-computer viz technology. They tried to update or, you know, I guess Americanize or westernize a lot of the jokes because they didn't think people would get, like, the humor. And, like, sometimes it worked and sometimes not necessarily. But this time around, they really stayed uh, way more true to the the roots of the story because, you know, it's it's been a long time and now readers are probably slightly more familiar with things like Oni and, you know, yokai and Japanese folklore and things like that. But for all of you who don't know what Urusei Atsura is, if you never did listen to the episode on it that I did, uh, in a nutshell, basically it's about Ataru, the world's worst, horniest boy... <laughs> and how the earth is being invaded by these aliens called the oni which is basically a play on the japanese folklore of the oni uh because rumiko takahashi loves playing with words and puns and things like that and he has to play a game of tag to save the earth basically and Lum is the beautiful alien princess that he has to play tag against and while he does end up winning she falls in love with him and decides to stay on Earth, and wackiness ensues. Yes. That's, that's the the very, very nutshell uh, <laughs> explanation of it. But it it's one of those series that, like, this was the big breakout smash hit for Rumiko Takahashi. This was, like, her first real serialized work. Mm-hmm. And it was so immensely popular. Like, basically, after Urusei Atsura came out, everyone wanted to make the next Urusei Atsura. And Rumiko Takahashi kept basically one-upping herself every single time she did a new series after this, which is kind of wild to think about. (laughs) It is is unreal to think that, like, she had had at least four generational defining hits over four decades. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Like, it still kind of blows my mind. And um, people are still being inspired by her work to this day, which is, like, super cool. I mean, I've already talked about how much I love her work, like, in my last episode about Maison Ikoku, which is basically <laughs> the only reason Maison Ikoku isn't on this list is because I just did an episode about it 
a couple months ago. Uh, <laughs> Go listen to it. It's good. Good guest. Good everything. <laughs> oh, thank you. But yeah, uh, if you love slapstick humor, if you love Japanese folklore, if you love uh, weird stuff, if you love a harem, kind of, maybe. it's It dips its toes into a lot of things that basically inspired the things that a lot of younger people are watching today, which is kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> it's it's a really fun series to read. A, to see, like, Takahashi laying the groundwork for all of the other things she's going to become known for in the coming mm-hmm. years. But mm-hmm. also, B, because it is just, it's such an inventive series where just every chapter can go off in some wild direction. And... Yeah, just have a different. Here's like here's a new you know gag monster of the week, and here's a new problem, and and here's the you know these obnoxious characters, uh, just playing it up like, and it is it's really a very funny series. It's, yeah, like I mean that's the most important thing is it it's just funny and it still works mm-hmm. because just when you think like things couldn't get weirder, it will always get weirder. Yes. And that's the most impressive part. You're like, how did she come up with this? And even like 40 years later, you're still like, how did she come up with this? Like, where was she getting these ideas? They're they're just so out of left field, so unique and so just like silly that you're just like, this is unlike anything I've ever read before in my life. And um, and it's a, a huge classic, still beloved to this day, all around the world. So if you want to see a manga that was probably the inspiration for, like, I don't know, half a dozen of the manga artists that you're reading today, you should definitely pick it up. Especially if you like a good, solid comedy with uh, cute girls. There's a lot of cute girls in there. Sure enough. <laughs> all right. Your number two pick. Casey, you know- go. Well, uh, you know what? I was going to wait for late till later for this one. But since you talked about how we probably all know more about yokai uh, and Japanese folklore now, it is time to break out the uh, the granddaddy of all yokai manga. Uh, yes. Gegege no, no Kitaro by the late, great Shigeru Mizuki. So I, I feel like if I say that title, you've probably seen some version of Kitaro or another. Uh, he is a character that has kind of become as prominent in Japanese culture as a lot of Osamu Tezuka's creations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like to this day, there are there is new Kitaro merchandise or movies or anime. Uh, I mean, th- like there's there was even a recently, you know, an, uh, a Kitaro anime where they made fun of the uh, the Jake Paul situation. Yeah, Logan Paul situation. So um, that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it, there is it like like all of those other evergreen things like Lupin and Astro Boy. They're still trying to find new directions for Kitaro. But uh, the original comics were reprinted uh, within the last few years, uh, thanks to Drawn in Quarterly. Uh, there is a, just a wonderful set of translations. There's eight different books. There's seven slim volumes, and there is a omnibus uh, that came out earlier that doesn't contain any of the stories in those volumes. But yeah, it is just about Kitaro, who is just a little yokai boy, and his dad, who is his is one of his eye, who is an eyeball. Uh, <laughs> he used to be a mummy, and now he's like a walking eyeball. Uh, and they just sort of go around dealing with different yokai problems and solving 
uh, demon mysteries. And, you know, of course, you're like, oh, well, I've already read, uh, you know, a thousand manga like that. Uh, but, you know, this is kind of the one that really set the standard mm-hmm. for that kind of storytelling. Um, again, also very funny. I Shigeru Mizuki, a phenomenal illustrator. And it's even more impressive when you learn that he lost his original drawing arm, his dominant arm in the war and learned to draw again with his other arm. Um, right. I could not believe that when I learned that. I was like, you are kidding me. And then became a master you know, using the new arm. Yeah. The arm. yeah. And also, just Mizuki is really interesting for so many reasons. And one of them is that he really did help popularize yokai stories, even within Japan, like to like mm-hmm. make them make them accessible again and make some of these characters beloved again. Uh, in his old hometown, you can go see statues of all the old yokai that are chronicled in the, in the manga. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very funny series. Uh, it's still really engaging. Um, and I am a huge fan of uh, of uh, Nizum, Nizumi Otoko, the rat man. <laughs> the rat man. <laughs> who is the, the, you know, like he's described as kind of like the worst smelling, most unhygienic schemer in the world. Uh, he often turns on Kitaro, like for the most petty justifications, some of which like will happen within a page and just the thinnest pretense to turn on your friend constantly. And it's funny every time. Um, so yeah, I, I adore Kitaro. I have adored the drawn and quarterly reprints. And I encourage you if you're even mildly interested to go grab some while the getting is good. Um, yeah, just great, great stuff. And thankfully, thanks to uh, John Quarterly and Zach Davison, who's been translating all these and everything, uh, there are a lot of other Mizuki books. Uh, there's a lot of Mizuki's books about World, you know, World War II, in which he is very critical of his experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, those are like Onward Toward Our Noble Deaths and uh, Showa, which is a Eisner-winning four-volume series about yeah Japanese history under that particular emperor. Uh, and all of Mizuki's experiences, uh, and also just, yeah, all of his yokai work, which also includes uh, Nonanba. Uh, Nonanba is also interesting because it that tells the story of the the old woman who raised, who helped raise Mizuki, who told him all of the stories about the yokai that later influenced his life and career. Um, so, yeah, just some beautiful comics. I keep saying beautiful comics, but you know what? Everything on my list is beautiful, so <laughs> I have no problem with that. But yeah, just very, very fun. If you are fond of like that 60s, uh, 60s era of comics at all, uh, I think this is some of the best stuff you can go get. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, one of the reasons why I didn't put that on my list is because I knew for sure you would put this on your list. Oh, but- yeah. I totally agree. I I, I also, uh, I really do recommend Onwards Towards Our Noble Death. I read that like several years ago and it was really, really interesting to read such a dramatic war story from the point of view of someone who went through it and wasn't like trying to make it into, like they weren't romanticizing it. No, they, 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 there's no like, yeah, there's no like we were the heroes in this or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's mm-hmm. just... It's it's very critical of the powers that be that sent people to die in these wars. Yeah, yeah. And I I really appreciated such frankness because, you know, especially in like autobiocomics, you know, from that era, a lot of times it was like, you know, glorifying something or another. So to have such a frank and honest 
look at that little slice of history was like super interesting and refreshing to me. But also Kitaro is an outstanding series. Um, I really like, uh, oh gosh, um, the, the, the kitty girl, <laughs> which when, when you say cat girl, you think, oh, anime or manga cat girl. Oh no, no, no. She does not look anything like that. No, no, no her, she's, uh, she's Nico Misume. Yeah. Neko, uh, Neko Misume. Thank you. That was, yes. I was like, I know her name means cat girl. What? But, uh, yeah, if you are imagining a cute, sweet little cat girl in your head, no, 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 that, uh, that is quite the opposite of, uh, what she she's, is like. She's a sharp toothed little goblin the way actual cats are. Yes. And I love her for it. I truly do. So she yeah, Ratman and the cat girl, go get it for them. <laughs> she has the pure essence of like your favorite gremlin cat, like mm-hmm. full stop. I love her. I mean, all, almost all of the characters in Kitaro are super interesting uh, in some way or another. And, and you might actually learn something about uh, Japanese folklore along the way. Yeah, yeah, it's educational and fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear you all groaning right now. Oh, no. <laughs> no well, I, I will say it's really funny. Uh, when the first Kitaro book came out, I think that they were really hoping to, like, push it in the direction of, like, young readers. Because in the back, there's like, oh, there's like a little Kitaro maze and a word find puzzle. And then after that, they were <laughs> yes. like, no, we know what the, all these old timers buying these books. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. That's not showing up. But I appreciate the effort drawn in quarterly. <laughs> I appreciate the effort. I, I I did uh, kind of get that vibe, too, because at one point they did a on one year during free comic book day, there was a Kitaro free comic. And it was very that vibe, very like, oh, hey, okay, kids, it's Kitaro. And I'm like, I don't think kids are going to be that into it. Unfortunately, well, I, I wish they I were. That, I know. I, I, I would say if you read this with a kid, they would have a great time with it. But yeah. Like, but it's just as far as like reaching out and discovering it on their own, maybe not just mm-hmm. due to the age. But it's yeah, it's still so fun. It really so is. Fun. Like if you have kids that are like into monster comics or monster movies, like this would totally be something that they would probably be interested in. Absolutely. Uh, and also, we we only lost the author Mizuki fairly recently. Uh, he lived until you know his nineties, and he was in, until his dying day. He was a very like vigorous figure and he was very uh he was just uh, seemed always very enthusiastic about life and like and hamburgers and hamburgers yeah (laughs) they they asked him how he lived to be his age he's like i eat hamburgers every day and i sleep eight hours like (laughs) i mean there is the infamous story uh about him in which he talked about his peers like tezka and you know and all the others who would make fun of him for not pulling all-nighters and he said well i slept eight hours a day every night and i'm here and they're all dead (laughs) Yep. So, yeah, Take so that. Get, get eight hours of sleep and you live to your 90s to eat hamburgers and look for ghosts. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like the life for me, honestly. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> well, since you invoked the name Tezuka, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to pull out my one Tezuka choice, which was kind of hard because I like a lot of his work, but at the same time, uh, a lot of his work is highly out of print or kind of in limbo with a company that's maybe not so great. <laughs> DMP. 
<laughs> yeah. But no, just, I, just name and shame. DMP is terrible. Yeah, digital manga, like woof. Yeah. Uh sadly. I'm I'm hoping eventually they realize that, you know, DMP isn't really the company we thought it was gonna be and can wiggle out of whatever agreement they were in so that we can all enjoy Tezuka work better. <laughs> uh with better releases. Accessibly. Uh, yeah, way more accessibly. Um, but I do have a my one of my number one favorite Tezuka titles. Technically, the physical volumes are out of print, but you can still buy it digitally from Vertical, and that is Blackjack. Yeah, God, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, I love Blackjack so much. It is one of my favorite manga of all time, and. Uh, most people do know that, like, Vertical did release it back in the day. Technically, it is out of print. But a lot of people didn't realize that the ebooks are still available. You can buy them digitally uh, through Kindle and, I think, Comixology. Um, and I also found some libraries on Overdrive do carry it digitally as well. My library has the first, like, six or seven volumes, which is great because you can read them for free. <laughs> Uh, but Blackjack is one of Osamu Tezuka's classic, much beloved series that still gets like anime adaptations every once in a while, uh, which all of them are also very good. But the manga is my favorite, favorite adaptation. Or, well, the original is my favorite yeah. for obvious reasons. But if you if you somehow have never heard of Blackjack... It's uh, Tezuka's famous tale of the renegade doctor that you can only call him when things are really, really going wrong and you have no other choice and you have to pay him kindly for his services. And the great thing about Blackjack is like once you realize that these stories are pretty much standalone, each one is kind of like, you know... Uh, medical case of the week uh you can kind of pick it up anywhere mm -hmm. for like any you can basically pick up any volume just know that oh blackjack is uh this uh unlicensed surgeon that goes around helping people whenever he needs to and sometimes he doesn't play by the rules and, and none of his cases are normal and yeah and they're all like these weird uh unusual medical things like Far out cases that like, you know, some of them probably could never happen in a million years, but some of them are actually based off of real things. And this is due to the fact that uh, Tezuka himself was a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Where he found the time to do medical school and all of this work, we'll never know. But uh, I think it goes back to <laughs> the point of no sleeping. <laughs> yep. Yeah, famously Tezuka died sort of young-ish because, uh, seemingly because he was like super overworked and did not take care of himself, um, which but is profoundly pro prolific in that time. Yes, like he put out so much manga and helped work on so much anime. It's staggering to this day how many things that uh, he had worked on. Uh, famously, though, a lot of his work is unfinished uh, <laughs> but uh all of blackjack was released here it was 17 volumes that is kind of long i i do understand but i like i said i feel like you can basically pick up any volume 
and read it once you realize like, oh, okay, so this is very episodic. Uh, there's not a lot of stuff you need to really know, except some of the characters you're like, oh, who's that? Like, cause some of them keep coming back. But um, this is a great story with like insanely cool art because uh, I feel since Tezuka studied to be a doctor, he has way more knowledge of, you know, medical illustration and how to make things look like super visceral. It's a it's a it's a startling contrast uh, because you'll have these very cartoony characters. And then once they get opened up for surgery, it's just just, you know, gloriously detailed, like anatomical stuff going on inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And uh, one one of my favorite uh, subgenres of horror is medical horror or body horror, and this series very often kind of slides in those areas. And um, I think that was one of the things that really drew me to it at first because I was like, "Ooh, this is like really kind of gory at times." Mm-hmm. Oh and no, I, these these are startling. Like, how do, how do you even put it? Like. They're like body horror morality tale mysteries. Yeah, yeah. And um, I I just, I loved that. I totally just blew through. I think the first time I read it was I had checked out a random volume at the library. Um, because I had, I had heard that like Blackjack had come out. But I hadn't like seen it for sale anywhere. So I would, hadn't bought any of it myself. But after reading that one volume, I was like, I need all of this like directly into my eyeballs and I searched for basically every physical volume I can to this day I still don't own a complete set of blackjack just because I started collecting way too late um so learn from my mistake folks if you have a manga out there that you really love buy it as soon as humanly possible because you just never know when it's going to go out of print and then you those middle volumes are gonna disappear you'll be able to get the beginning and the end but never the middle never the middle or you'll have to shell out the big bucks for it, which is not fun. Uh, I think so far, I've the most I've paid for a single volume of Blackjack is forty dollars. That's and, and it, that's lucky. And, and even then, I was like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> but I, it was one that I really needed, and it, I had the money, so I was like, all right. You got me. I'm going to I'm going to buy this. I'm going to be part of the problem. <laughs> but, but you can get them all for about eight dollars digitally as of this yes. recording. Yes. They are available as, in a lot of places. Yeah. As of this recording, you can still buy it digitally. I super recommend like if you have access to overdrive through your library and you find that they have digital copies of Blackjack, totally check it out. See if you like it. If it sounds interesting to you. Plus, like, you know, this is another Tezco work. So it's super, you know, relevant to seeing where your favorite, again, where your favorite manga artist might have been inspired by this, you know, god of manga. Like, there's a reason why they called him that. Like, his his work is very, like, when when Casey said it's, you know, gory medical morality tales, like, that's basically what it is. If you ever read the series Frankenfran, that's kind of on the same wavelength, except Frankenfran dives headfirst into, like, the horror sort of Twilight Zone inspiration, like, full stop. And it's, like, even more weird and gory, if you can believe it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but Blackjack is 
super relevant to, there's a lot of really great stories in that series that still feel very fresh and relevant. And for something so old, that's like really saying something. I mean, there are parts that didn't age super great, uh, but that's to be expected for something that was made like decades ago, like many, many decades ago. Yeah. But no, it, but like, but how much of it has held, you know, so much of it has held up really mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. Uh, like, uh, you know, I've been, I've been reading a lot of Tezka recently. I read, uh, you know, I, I've been reading Blackjack. I've been reading uh, Buddha. Uh, and another one that I'm going to recommend on the tail end of yours is an honorable mention too, Dororo. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But like, just reading Tezka, like you always hear like, oh, you know, yeah, he's the god of manga. He's a classic. And it makes it sound like you're, you know, telling somebody to eat their vegetables. Uh, <laughs> or like, yeah. you know, it, it's good medicine. But no, like these works, both, both by Mizuki and Tezka, I think are mind expandingly good about the possible, like the infinite possibilities of cartooning. Mm-hmm. Like there is so much technique on display in, in blackjack and in uh, Dororo and even in Guitaro that like, I like you've, you've seen people borrow in their own ways, but you go back to some of this stuff and like, there is like strange wild editing techniques they're, pre- they're experimenting with and like ways oh, yeah. of transitioning scenes and laying out a page. Like it, it really hits you that like, holy shit, you know, like this stuff is still vital and energetic mm-hmm. and yeah, just can make your brain uh, expand just by reading it. Um, there but, are some two page spreads in blackjack that I will literally just sit and stare at for like 20 minutes just because I'm like, damn, this was drawn in the sixties and it looks so amazing. Like, and and this was like he's Tezuka was doing stuff like completely different from other manga artists at the time in some respects. Like he was doing a lot of like fourth wall breaking and like you said, like very unique like page layouts. Like he was very experimental in a lot of ways. And it still really pops sometimes when you read some of his work. Like it's super cool. Like Blackjack is just like, oh, it's so good. Oh. It's one of my favorite things ever. I mean, there's a reason why there are so many uh, very prolific artists who, like, still draw blackjack fan art to this day. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, gosh. What, who is the uh, Castlevania artist? Oh, yes. Oh, she draws these beautiful blackjack doujinshis. Yeah, Ayami sell- Kojima. Yeah, that that sell for hundreds of dollars, and like my life goal is to someday be able to buy one. Yeah, because they're so beautiful. So oh. good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I did want to recommend on the tail end of that that um, Dororo, which got a popular anime recently. Uh, if you had enjoyed that anime, I strongly encourage you to go back and find the uh, the vertical release, mm-hmm. which uh, because of the anime they reprinted it all in an omnibus. Yeah, uh, and it's like. In bookstores, I saw it in a Barnes and Noble just the other day. Um, but also, you can uh, you can get those digitally as well. And Doro is a fantastic uh, Japanese folklore samurai series that still has some of those body horror elements of a of a wandering samurai trying to like you know in a prosthetic body trying to reclaim his body parts that are being held by dozens of demons. Uh, and again, yeah. great art, exceptional like exceptional fights and cool comedy and Mm -hmm. great cartooning. Yeah. 
also, <laughs> since you brought up uh, Dororo, I, I will uh, also mention if you liked Blade of the Immortal, mm-hmm. you should totally check out Dororo. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, y- y- that was basically the inspiration. Like, it's undeniable. Oh, it, it's so undeniable that uh, that the artist of Blade of the Immortal, uh, Hiroaki Samura, drew the character designs for the PlayStation 2 Dororo game Blood Will Tell. He did? I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yes. 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 So that, that was my first exposure to Dororo back in the PS2 days. Wow. Yeah, it, it, in, the, in the manual and stuff, you'll see, you know, and, like, some of the art, you'll see his designs. So... He's clearly like homaging back and going like, yeah, no, this is absolutely where part of that comes from. <laughs> yes. Oh, I see. I love that. I love seeing like the blueprints of where some of the more modern faves come from. It's so like eye opening. Well, and I, I, I've been replaying uh, Samurai Showdown recently, too. And you can see Hyakimaru, the lead of Doro's hair and Halmaru, the main character of Samurai Showdown. Like it's oh, so obvious. Totally. That's yeah. great. Oh, man. I love that. Ooh. So, so yeah, Mizuki, Tezuka, please don't think that they're medicine. Like, when we say, like, these are still, these are both classic, foundational classics, and also just things that are completely enjoyable today, regardless of whether you knew their reputation or not. We yeah. need it. Yeah, it's not just us being snobs about it or something. No, or these are... Old-timers on our porch. <laughs> yeah, we're not old men, you know, shaking our fists at clouds. Like, this is legitimate good comics. This is just... There's a reason why they're considered classics. It's because they're good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Since I did blackjack, that means it is your turn, Casey. Okay. Well, let's let's hop into another one that I think that if you if you followed my Twitter for long enough, you'll know I'm going to say this one. And I think some of your listeners in the comments already predicted I was going to talk about this. <laughs> uh, but it is one of my favorite comics of all time. Uh, that would be Kazuo Umezu's The Drifting Classroom. Yes! Another one that I was like, I would totally pick this, but I know Casey will! (laughs) So, this is one of the wildest horror comics you will ever read in your life. (laughs) Oh man, yes. Like, if you, if you, if my listeners, if you've been around for a while and you listened to my Halloween episode, I think it was a year ago, uh, I basically did a review of the first omnibus of The Drifting Classroom. And it is so good (laughs) it's like i i want to set the expectations appropriately like i kazu umezu like or umez as he style stylizes it now and i was told uh by viz like that's officially what he wants to be called right now is kazu umez um but like umez operates on an alien wavelength that i don't think any other comic artist in the world could replicate even if they tried (laughs) No, yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, like this stuff is relentless. So, so Drifting Classroom is about a uh, an elementary school that is mysteriously transported to what may or may not be another dimension. And I won't try to ruin this by ex- explaining exactly what it is. But like, it's pretty much this like elementary school just gets dropped in the middle of a uh, deserted hellscape populated by giant insects and weirdos and like just all kinds of awfulness. Yeah. Uh, And within minutes, like all of the adults become useless or homicidal. (laughs) Like it's, you know, by, by like the first few chapters, the kids are starting to sacrifice each other. (laughs) Like, yeah. Oh, (laughs) it is harsh. And the, 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 the thing that 
like kind of blew my mind was like learning that this was a children's series. Yes, it well, and I, I think that's part of what remains fascinating about Umez. Um, and I've read a bunch of interviews with them about this series, and Umez felt that like the way he expressed how he felt that a uh, drifting classroom should be a children's series is because despite the fact that this is like such a bizarro mutant version of uh, Lord of the flies, mm-hmm. like it, like the way he sees it in a, in a real crisis where like if something were to happen, something very apocalyptic uh, were to happen, like he felt that adults are so set in their ways and their con- their conceptions of what reality is and should be that they would become useless once those views were challenged. Whereas kids are still adaptable, and because they have like childlike imaginations, they could see other possibilities in that world, and they wouldn't like immediately just give up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, um, considering current events. <laughs> Yeah. I, I'm inclined to agree. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I, I will caution, you know, if, if you're like, oh, well, do I buy this for the child in my life? Oh. I mean, that, that, that's that's up to you. I mean, Umez does say in the same interviews, like, I think it would be a shame if you didn't show your kid this. But I <laughs> but like but like at the, at the same time, like you're going to see third, fourth and fifth graders just like mauled by adults and tiny insects and giant insects and weird plagues and funguses. And like uh, one kid gets brutally murdered by a Marilyn Monroe robot that he gropes. Like it's. It, yeah. And, and like you said earlier, also like, you know, content warning for suicide. And Oh yeah. No, there is, there is like, there is a, there's a page in the first omnibus that I think is one of the most like shocking pages, uh, especially yep. of that era <laughs> of a of a I think it's like a kindergartner or a second grader, like a very young child that like imagines that they can sort of just fly away from all of this. And they go to jump and they show them in like the flight pose. And then like the way Umez draws his arms being pulled back by gravity, oh, like and, it's and, like so and, harsh. And like the there's like the page flip, like that horrible anticipation of the page flip before he hits the ground. And yes, you do get him hitting the ground, but like yep. it's just making you wait for that flip to see it is. Mm. But again, it's a it's, lot. It's a lot, but I, I think it is. I think it's an incredible series. Uh, yeah. And it, and it's very 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 important to the development of horror manga, as is everything Umezu has done. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a huge Junji Ito fan, I think you owe it to yourself to read this as Umezu is one of the gods of horror manga and a huge influence on uh, Ito himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Ito drew a manga, which uh, you can now read in the new uh, Ito book, uh, Venus in the Blind Spot, uh, specifically about what a huge influence Umezu was on him. Um Junji Ito's uh, sisters got him into horror manga because they were avid readers of Umezu. And so he would get to borrow all of their copies. And for one of his birthdays, they bought him the final volume of Drifting Classroom. He had not read any of the rest of it. Yes. Oh, I remember that. I was like, oh, no, what a mean joke. And like, you know, the, his friend at school would go like, there's this weird mutant insect that eats all the kids. And like, he's like, I got to know what this I got to know what this manga is. You know, so. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it could be argued that without saying like Drifting Classroom, there would be no Genji Ito. So yeah. I think I think if you're curious about the development of that style, 
you owe it to yourself to read Drifting Classroom, but also it just works as one of the strangest, wildest comics you will ever read. Yeah. And not only is it, like, legitimately kind of terrifying, uh, it's also really funny at times. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it, like, some of, like, some of the, some of the awfulness, it, it is really hilarious the way it plays <laughs> out. Or Well, like, uh, I think I mentioned this in my review episode about it, but there was this one part, like, in the first omnibus that always makes me laugh, and I don't know why. It's that one weird little kid who he's like stuck I think in the kitchen and he's crying one minute and then he sees there's a can of pineapple on the counter and he's just like pineapple and he just jumps (laughs) on it yeah perfect no yeah if like yeah if you enjoy like if you enjoyed something like Haosu you know like you could still you could still vibe with this like Mm -hmm. um but yeah or like there's there's an infamous page in uh in the first omnibus too of the main kid escaping a monster by imagining that he's a chair. <laughs> yes. And and like the and like Umezu illustrates this completely abstract com- concept and illustrates the hell out of it. And again, mm-hmm. like but at the same time it's totally justifiable in Umezu's view that kids are adaptable. How yep. if if this monster is not going to eat you because you don't move, then like if if it doesn't see you move, then like you imagine yourself as the stillest object you can think of, a chair. And Somehow it works within complete context, but it, but like out of context, what a strange page. Well, even in context, right. what a strange page. Uh, but yeah, no, Drifting Classroom is is phenomenal. I yeah. I'm holding my copy right now and shaking it, and no one can see me. But it's I'm really it. the yeah, power of really, radio. That's right. I, and I, I I will say I hope that um, I hope that that inspires. Uh, more reprints of uh, Umezu stuff. I hope it sells well enough because, like, I would love to see um, God, Left Hand of God, Right Hand of the Devil, or um, some more volumes of Orochi. Uh, okay. I'd love to see a reprint of Cat-Eyed Boy, which was Yes, a, me too. Cat-Eyed Boy, which is more Umezu kind of doing the Shigeru Mizuki thing. <laughs> yes! Uh and I would really, and I know it's, I, I, I don't predict anybody's going to have the guts to print this whole thing, but I would love, love a complete set of 14. Oh, yeah. That 14, would be amazing. 14 is the, like, it is the, it is the weirdest comic that anyone has ever made. Like, I've, I've only seen snippets of it. I've never, like, actually read uh, like a good chunk of it, but like it just seems really wild. I totally want to read it. <laughs> it. It goes, it goes places. Like <laughs> I, 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 like if if I tried to describe it in the podcast, it would just sound like I'm making it all up as I go along. Some so kind of wild fever dream. Yes. Oh yes. So yeah, if you want to read, if you want to read, uh, one genius's wild fever dream. Please go read uh, Kazu Umezu. Uh, and also, since you know we're here, I, I'd also like to say uh, I I hope that uh, some of the other horror artists from that era get looked at again because I think cool. that I think that people like Hideshi Hino were printed yes. way way before their time. Like there was attempts to do that in like the 2000s, but I think now that Ito's popularity has swelled to the point that it is, I think there would be a more receptive audience for trying those kinds of experiments again. And I hope someone does it. Yeah, same, same. Like, uh, I used to have some of those, like, I don't even think the printing company exists anymore. The the one that was printing Hideshi Hino's stuff. 
but like hell babies and lullabies from hell and yes like those those were so cool and I'm kind of sad that like I lost a lot of my old volumes of that when I moved cross country like I'm kicking myself now for not being more protective of them because now if you try to find them online they're like ridiculously overpriced um but yeah I would love it if more people got on the horror manga releasing train because I love horror anything give it to me please well, <laughs> and, and and something I love about these horror manga guys is like they're all they all seem really normal compared to how they draw themselves like oh, yes like if if you watch if, if you if you see any interview with like Genji Ito he's the most aggressively normal person I mean he used to be a dentist for crying out loud <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and he's just like, and you like, you see his house, and you're like, oh, the master of horror, and it's like just this very like simple looking like wood paneled house with like no horror accoutrements hanging anywhere, no. no like nothing gothic. It's just like you know, yeah, this is a very normal house, but also like Kazuo Umezu, you know, he draws these like f- these nightmarish fever dreams, but he's <laughs> and he like lives in a big cartoon house. <laughs> he, yeah, he lives in a he he like he wears red and white stripes every day, and his house and himself look like a peppermint. And like, and he like he used to go on TV and like be a beloved figure. Like it's it's in the uh, Ito comic too, uh, where like he would like he had another popular comedy series called Makoto Chan about like a boy who has diarrhea all the time, <laughs> and like like and other scatological problems. And like and like he had like a song that he would sing on television called Diarrhea Rock. <laughs> like, <laughs> And like, you know, and he was like, and Japan loved him for it. So, you know, and then you, and then you look at Hideshi Hino and like, he draws himself as like this, like crazy axe killer, whenever he like cameos in his own comics, but you see him now and he's like this George RR Martin-esque, like old sea captain. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so, you know, yeah, just, just some great works. And I, I hope that, uh, I hope that this one succeeds because it really is one of the best horror comics. Uh, and I would love to see like a new era of reprints of old horror, like of that generation. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, who is it? Seven Seas. Every month they take, uh, you know, those reader surveys where they get, you know, people are supposed to send in suggestions for for things that they would love to see Seven Seas publish. And uh, if any of this sounds interesting, I don't know. Maybe go hit them up one of these months. Because we can't do this alone, folks. <laughs> Yeah, we need more people. <laughs> I can That's only right. yell. I can only yell at these publishers so many times. I mean, it took me how many years of yelling to get Meizani Koku and Ursae Aptera reprinted? <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I like if you look back far enough, I have tweets from like t- like 2012 going, "Please reprint this, please." Reprints are possible, especially now. Especially now. All right, so let's see. My turn now. Me, I go. All right, let's see. What do I pick from my list? Well, let's do something completely different. (laughs) Has nothing to do with uh, horror, really. Um, But this is actually a series that, as of this recording, is still coming out currently. But it is a classic, and I love it with all my heart. And I'm so happy that it is in print now. Um, and that is The Rose of Versailles by Ryoko Ikeda. Yes. <laughs> you know, I haven't done an episode on it yet, but, like, I really do want to try to do that in the future. Uh, but this is one of the most iconic, legendary pieces of shoujo fiction ever created ever 
And the fact that we finally have it coming out in English is so amazing. Because for like a while, we actually were questioning if this was even coming out. Oh, yeah, no. Udon had announced it like how many years ago that they were going to do this? Like four or five or something like that. It was ridiculous. And I think the I think the word is it went through three different translators and got picked up and dropped again for various reasons. So, yeah. Yeah. uh, Quite famously, Ryoko Ikeda is very possessive of her property, which I mean, if you created one of the most iconic shoujo titles ever created, I guess you're allowed to do that. Sure. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, famously, she keeps a very tight hold on it, you know, because she has been able to maintain complete control over it all these years, which, I mean, she's 72, so that's really impressive. And honestly, it's the dream of any creator to be able to say, I own this and I decide what happens to it. Exactly. So, like, it's no fault of hers. Like, I, I mean... If, if this was my work, I would also be very, very picky about how it was released in other languages. So it's understandable, but it did take an awful long time to, to get the point there. that we thought it wouldn't happen. So we yeah, it was like every year or so we'd be like, hey, it's been another year and that's still not out yet. Udon, what's going on? And they would be like periodically going, it's still happening. We promise. We swear. Like every, it was like every once in a blue moon, there would be a magical tweet where they were like, oh, we, we remember Rose of Versailles. We promise it's coming. And then they would go back into hiding and not talk about it for another year. Yep. <laughs> like clockwork almost. But finally, it has finally started coming out. Thank God. <laughs> and um, I was a little hesitant at first because, you know, Udon isn't exactly known for manga at this point um in the past you know they used to put out a lot more manga but nowadays it seems like they're way more into like putting out uh video game art books and uh video game omnibus collections of uh you know artwork and pinups and comics and things like that they uh, are they are pretty much capcom's literary wing <laughs> at this point yeah like if, if you like Mega Man, boy howdy you're gonna like this publisher <laughs> but um you know periodically they were doing still some manga things like uh they they put out like two i think two different tezuka art books which kind of surprised me and um and what was the other thing oh a samurai pizza cats fan book hey which i was like oh okay cool sure wow but you know rose of versailles if you've somehow never heard of rose of versailles this is the iconic series where ryoko ikeda did basically historical fiction on the life and times of Marie Antoinette and her tragic uh, life story, but kind of told through the lens of this fictional character that she created named Oscar, who is sort of this gender-defying character, uh, which became such a huge deal that, like, to this day, people reference this these characters and this story in other things and it's like it's just one of those shoujo titles that is evergreen it's been reprinted so many times in japan and in other countries it is you know when people want an example of like a classic shoujo manga this is like 
usually the number one choice that people go to is like the Rose of Versailles. It oh. has you know, the the hallmarks of what we think of uh, as shoujo, like typical shoujo art. Um, it has, you know, all the romance and the high drama and even some wacky comedy at times, which is something that surprised me because if you've ever watched the anime, they really sort of tone down that aspect of it. But the manga has like tons of comedy in it. It's actually quite funny. And I love that because in the past, I'd only ever kind of read like a little bit of the series here and there because again it wasn't available in English so I'd only ever had like a couple of random volumes in Japanese and kind of only barely understood them (laughs) but uh you know now we have these very beautiful physical volumes uh sadly they don't have it available in uh digital uh, maybe someday, but like I think that's more of like on Ryoko Ikeda's end. Like I don't know if she does ebooks. Probably by request. There, there's yeah. a few artists that you just can't do it with, and I would imagine she's probably one of them. Yeah, sadly, and I I was kind of hesitant to put this on the list because even though this is like a super iconic, amazing, beautiful piece of shoujo history, these books are so expensive. <laughs> they're about $30 to uh, maybe more a pop. And uh, so far I've only been able to get two, the first two volumes because they're just so pricey Um, because one of them was a gift. (laughs) Uh, But I I, like when you hold these books in your hands, they are so gorgeous. Like the covers are these, they're beautiful hard covers with like this beautiful gold foiling detail And, I mean, they're also very hefty, like... (laughs) They're substantial books, yeah. Like, if I was being robbed at gunpoint, and all I had was Rose of Versailles with me, I could protect myself. I'd like to think that that's what Lady Oscar would also do. (laughs) Right? But, uh, yeah, I I really love the story. It's really gorgeous. And if you, like me, have been, like, aching to have more, like, legitimate classic shoujo available or in your library at home like this is definitely one that I would recommend picking up because I mean for how long we had to wait the quality is pretty great Uh, just just know that you're probably going to pay a lot for it unless um you hit up say Barnes and Noble when they're having like some sort of sale on manga uh that would probably be the best time to buy them or you know ask for them for Christmas Mm-hmm. possibly they are worth the money but they do cost some money <laughs> That's... yeah because uh they are omnibus volumes so they are really big but uh, yeah i think there's only going to be like five or six volumes because of the omnibus thing it's it's fairly short so it's not like you're gonna have to buy like 20 of them or something if you like a good like historical period piece melodrama oh like, yeah this this is as good as it gets yes Totally. Because there were things like when I first got into Rose of Versailles, there were things I read in the story that I thought were made up since it is historical fiction. And imagine my surprise when I finally was like, I should Google that to see if that's real. A lot of the high drama stuff in this was absolutely real. Yeah. (laughs) Like this is where I learned about the affair of the necklace. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was absolutely fake because it sounds... (laughs) unreal it sounds totally like you made this up 
This Mystery is stranger than fiction. So right? often. Uh, but it, that's one of the cool things about it is that there is a lot of truth behind this, like, you know, historical fiction piece, which is kind of cool. Um, it, obviously, a lot of it's played up, but it's still like, um, like, if you love high drama, soap opera kind of stuff, like, we're talking rich, spoiled brats <laughs> fighting. Yep. The if French you, Revolution's happening. Like it's, it's it's amazing. And real quick, Kate's art is just insanely mm. good. Like I cannot like every, every time I read a volume of Rose of Versailles, I'm just like the level of detail with the costumes, the hair, the, the hair. Oh, the hair is so good. The the beautiful like galaxy eyes with the sparkles. Yes. The, Yes, I was going to say, I don't think anybody has ever drawn an eye more sparkly and, like, cosmic than <laughs> Ryoko Ikeda before or since. I don't think right? you could. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I think what you said, galaxy eye, that's perfect. There are, yeah, there's an entire galaxy glimmering in some of these eyes. Uh, it is it is shoujo sparkle to the extreme. The extreme. Like, just when you think something can't get sparklier, it will. <laughs> Ikeda style. Yes, and and just the the gorgeous like lush illustrations of Versailles itself is just like, oh, everything is so decadent and so just over the top and beautiful. Like you feel like you're right there in the revolution. It's so beautiful. I love that art so much. And it's um it's if if you think that you you know you're like oh well i saw the anime i know the story i don't have to read the manga um there's significant differences between the two and i would totally recommend reading the manga if you've only ever seen the anime they're both great but i think the manga like i think it's kind of winning me over i think i like it more than i like the anime now Ooh. Uh, <laughs> and the anime is fantastic and we're about to get and it is that, yes Yes, which, you know, maybe because of that, maybe that's when I'll finally get around and uh, do a actual full episode on Rose of Versailles. But as of right now, I'm just, you know, trust me when I say this is one of the greatest pieces of shoujo fiction of all time. You should probably check it out. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a library that has it, totally check it out. If uh, if you can do that there and save yourself a few bucks and then you're also supporting a library, which is really cool. Absolutely. Oh, and you know, on, on that note too, I will. Since you talked about the expense of these and the the presence of classic shojo, I'll throw another honorable mention at the end here, which is that there is a lot of a uh, Moto Hagio manga that Fantagraphics has been publishing. Yes, I, I highly recommend Drunken Dream or uh, the Poe Clan, which they've done recently, or Otherworld Barbara, which is a more recent work. But like Hagio Moto is one of like another one of the greats of shojo manga, but. Yeah, and and like you have these very lush, beautiful uh, '70s, you know, '60s, '70s shojo. But like, it, just like Rose of Versailles, these are like prestige hardcovers, and they mm -hmm. are quite pricey. Uh, so, and 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 their print status kind of slips on and off. Yeah, um, yeah, especially those uh those older ones that have been out for a while. But yeah, the, I know the Poe Clan is still in print, and that's the uh, that's the vampire series that she did. Yes. All right, your turn. Okay, so I I wanted to pick something a little out of left field for my next one. Uh, 
So, so I, I'm cheating. Uh, this is two books, but by the same artist. Uh, and that is Helter Skelter and Pink by Kyoko Okazaki. <gasps> oh, see, this is good that you picked them because Pink was on my maybe I'll choose this one, maybe I won't. <laughs> ah, perfect. So, so Kyoko Okazaki is a uh, is a Jose artist, which you know she does a lot of adult women's comics, and these are these are quite adult in their subject matter and in their depiction. Pink, well, first of all, uh, Helter Skelter is sort of about a a supermodel who uh, decides to get like drastic plastic surgery, and then sort of you know gradually becomes unhinged by the realities of fame and. Uh, the ugly side of uh, the industry, uh, and I like it's it. It really is difficult to even describe the directions that Pink goes uh, that uh, that Helter Skelter goes in. And Pink is about a uh, about a young uh, sex worker who uh, is trying to survive um, within the environment of uh, Japan's bubble era, and particularly uh, while it's falling apart. Uh, but she's she's doing sex work, particularly to feed her pet alligator. Yes, her pet, her pet crocodile, rather crocodile. Mm-hmm. It's important. Real real croc fans demand accuracy. Yes. Um, but yeah, and I like, and I know that like just saying those setups isn't much, but I I think there's there is such a like glamorous quality to her art, and there's such a emotional rawness to her approach. Um, mm-hmm. Like there, there, and there's just wonderful juxtaposition of tone between like, you know, you'll you'll have you'll have comedy, you'll have like pure psychological terror and very real depictions of like having a panic attack in the middle of a page, and then like three pages later, there's like oh, there's a cute drawing of her feeding a crocodile a bunch of meat in a bathtub, you know. Yeah. Like it, uh, but I mean, I I think these are phenomenal works. Um, Vertical uh, published both of these in the uh, mid 2010s, um, but they're from the early 90s. Uh, tragically, Kyoko Okazaki was hit by a car in the mid 90s, which uh, has like she she's still drawing some, I believe, but like that that unfortunately had a dramatic impact on her career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the reason I'm suggesting these is because a I think that they are fantastic comics. Uh, oh yeah, and, and b I, I really hope that somebody because they're, they're still actively for sale. You can buy these two books for like, like still in print, still with somebody. But I would love to see a renewed interest in Okazaki because there are so many other books she did in that period, uh, like uh, Tokyo Girls Bravo, um, River's Edge. Yes. Uh, uh, just there, there's tons of like one shots and two volume series. I, I would love to see so much more of Okazaki's work. I, I think she is a truly one of a kind talent, um, and just there there is such a, an emotional uh, rawness to what she does, and, and so I would love to see more of her work published. And I think she is a very daring voice. And if anything I said sounds appealing to you, I highest recommendation. Yeah, same. Uh, I read a lot of things about her by other female manga artists that said that she was like a huge inspiration to them uh i think specifically miyoko anno and um uh, ayazawa Mm. both both really looked up to her and her work and i feel like that's super apparent if you have ever read things like paradise kiss 
or Sakuran. I feel like if you have read those and you really liked them and you go back and you read like Helter Skelter or Pink, you're like, oh, I can see why they really, really gelled with this artist. Like this also speaks to me. Um, but I, I also was really kind of disappointed that apparently these did not sell like super well at all, uh, uh, which was so sad to hear because I feel like these are, like you said, like super unique and very raw stories that I feel like more women would totally be into if they knew they existed. I think that's part of the problem. I think a lot of women just don't know that these exist. Uh, which is kind of a bummer. And um, I, I think something like Pink's uh, anti-capitalist pro-sex work edge could still could attract like an audience now. Oh, if, totally. If the awareness Be- was there. I mean, it is it is so like it feels like it's just this gift wrapped story for this era, right? Like, like quirky sex worker does what she can to stay alive and feed her unique exotic pet. <laughs> Who happens to be very cute. Like the crocodile is cute. (laughs) Yeah. And also just, yeah, like it's that, you know, there is comedy, but there's also like, I I remember there, there is a section in pink where the main character has a, a sudden onset panic attack. Yeah. The way it is drawn, like where, where it's almost the absence of drawing at points is Mm -hmm. like, it hits so heavy. If you've ever experienced overwhelming anxiety to that point. Oh Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, it it comes from an emotionally honest place, but goes into like magical realist directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, just great comics. Can't recommend them highly enough. Yes, yes. I also think that people should check them out. They are so 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 good. Especially if you thought at some point like I really need to be absorbing more women's comics into my brain. Like these are two very excellent examples of a a slightly more modern than what some of the other things we're talking about uh examples of really great comics done by women they're super super good and with very attractive art too so yeah yeah there's a reason why so many people in japan still talk about her work uh it's 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 basically timeless Mm -hmm. even even set in the bubble era, it's still very, very relevant, I feel like, emotionally to uh, a lot of people. Yes. It's really good. It's really good stuff. <laughs> um, speaking of stuff done by women. Hey. Hey. Uh, so I would be remiss if I didn't put a clamp title in here. Yeah. And <laughs> because I love clamp. I love clamp and all their messiness. They are so good (laughs) i don't care what anyone says the thing was i was like okay i have to think of a clamp title that's like actually finished that i really enjoy and that isn't out of print (laughs) uh which i was like hmm hmm okay this is where it gets a little tricky uh but since i love so many works by clamp that wasn't terribly hard uh and i'm going to go into a more well, slightly more lighthearted direction with Magic Night Ray Earth by Clamp. Ah. <laughs> now, a lot of people, like when Clamp comes up now, a lot of people talk about Cardcaptor Sakura or, you know, more of their modern stuff like um, like Tsubasa or Holic or things like that. Chill but, bits. 
Tobits. Uh, but I specifically wanted to pick this because, A, I feel like even though it was, like, super popular when, like, I was younger, it's kind of fallen a little to the wayside to some of their other things. And, B, I feel like it's a really interesting look at Clamp's first attempt at a Magical Girl series because it's not what you would have expected. <laughs> and they have gone on record saying that literally the only reason Nakayoshi even let them do this story was because Sailor Moon was so popular at the time. <laughs> they were like, if this was any other time, they would have shot this story down in a heartbeat. And I think when you try to explain what Magic Knight Ray Earth is, like, you can kind of see why, because it's a lot. Uh, so Magic Knight Ray Earth is basically Clamp's idea of like, okay, what if we made a Magical Girl series? But it's also an Isekai series. But <laughs> it is also JRPG inspired. And they all pilot giant robots. Hell yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yes, yes, I like all those things. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, and it is a bunch of stuff that you're like, okay, on the surface, you think like that doesn't sound like it would work, but it totally does somehow. And it features some of my favorite clamp era art. Like I really love their older stuff where it's like, the big giant eyes that take up like <laughs> over half of their faces and the, the really extravagantly detailed costumes and backgrounds and machinery and all of that stuff. Like it is just, this artwork is nuts. So the first time I ever saw it as a, as a young manga reader, I was like, how is this <laughs> even real? <laughs> like, it was so amazing to me because, uh, you know, I read this in the era of Sailor Moon, again, because that's when it was coming out, but it felt like something completely different from the magical girl stuff of Sailor Moon. Like, it was on a completely different level. Like, only something that Clamp could have come up with. And it has really interesting characters. It's, like, high fantasy, but also, like, set in the modern times. Uh, so, like, if you like sort of weird isekai stuff, I feel like you owe it to yourself to read some of these older works that we could classify as isekai now. Um, especially because, like, shoujo manga was doing it way before, like, all these, you know, light novels and new anime series were doing it. And they were doing it really, really well. And, like, all clamp things... Uh, it may seem cute and cheerful at first, but there's some twists and turns that make it very heart-wrenching <laughs> at times. Um, but I won't spoil it <laughs> for anybody, obviously. And um, I just feel like if you haven't read Ray Earth and you are a Clamp fan, like you like Cardcaptor Sakura and you like all that other stuff they did, you really owe it to yourself to read like a lot of their older works because... Uh, I, I hear a lot of people are, like, super big fans of Tsubasa, but have never read, like, Magic Knight Ray Earth or X or Rig Veda. And I'm like, wow, you're only getting, like, half of the references there. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's interesting, though, because, like, Clamp, just like Rumiko Takahashi, has been so many things to so many different generations. 
True, because like this, uh, this ran in Nakayoshi, which is the same magazine that ran Sailor Moon at the time. Like at one point, they were running like side by side together in the same magazine. And but most people know Clamp stories that have been in uh, Shonen magazines and Seinen magazines. Ain't it the way? <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting to see like this side of Clamp. That, like, you know, if if the only shoujo title of theirs that you've ever read is, like, say, Cardcaptor Sakura, um, it's interesting to go back to this because I feel like, you know, at times, Cardcaptor Sakura had some, like, kind of harsh, like, very real moments. But, like, I feel like Ray Earth had even harsher ones. <laughs> like, yes. there's some really sort of, like, uh, gut-wrenching aspects of the, this series that you know when you're first reading it you're like oh it's a cute little magical girl thing and then you're like oh oh no <laughs> what's going on but that's you know that was the joke back in the day that clamp was really good at you know ripping your heart out at a moment's notice <laughs> literally yeah x fans know what we're talking about oh <laughs> Aww. 2020 still waiting on an ending clamp. <laughs> uh, sad face. But um, and the other good thing about Magic Knight Rare Earth is that uh, it's been released by many, many publishers at this point. So if you can't find one printing of it, you can most likely find another one. Another like, those massive hardcovers, right? <laughs> yeah. So it was first released by Tokyo Pop back when they were Mix Zine. For all of you old people like me who know that <laughs> that name. And which um, it also ran side by side with Sailor Moon. <laughs> it did, which <laughs> was kind of ironic. Um, it was also published in a couple of omnibus editions, Ray Earth and Ray Earth 2 uh, by Dark Horse. Uh, so if you want to read the whole thing in one go, you can do that if you can find the Dark Horse volumes, which uh, I think at this point, this, the volume of Ray Earth 2 is actually harder to find than the first one, which is kind of weird. Because um, I'm I'm not as big of a fan of Ray Earth 2 as I am the first series. But, you know, sequel series, that's kind of, you know, typical. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you said, most recently Kodansha released this ultra fancy, expensive, like, 25th anniversary box set, which includes an art book uh, as well. Uh, but if you don't want to, you know, spend like, uh, I think it's like 80 some dollars uh, for that ultra fancy edition. Uh, they also have uh, digital ebook versions available via, I think, Kindle and Comixology. Uh, so those are significantly cheaper. And um, I mean, I wouldn't recommend the Tokyo Pop versions because the translation isn't like super great and the book quality is kind of poor. But if you find them in a used bookstore for like a dollar, then, you know, why not <laughs> go crazy? Uh, it's, you know, not super hard to find basically like take your pick. If you want to find a cheap old version, or if you want to just go all out and get like a really expensive, nice one, you have your options, which was one of the reasons I also chose it as well, because like, it's very, very accessible for a clamp title, which, uh, you know, sadly, not all their titles get uh, that much, <laughs> that much uh, of a release. So it's uh, it's kind of handy that you can basically just pick it up wherever. Oh, yeah. There will be a way to read where if you have the desire. <laughs> <laughs> if that is your wish, it will be granted. <laughs> but um, 
<laughs> All right. So uh, I believe we have one more left, right? Yeah, uh, we both have one more. This is this is okay. So I am going to struggle to talk about this just because it is probably some of my favorite work anyone has ever done. Oh, um, so I, I'm just going to jump into it. This is a recommendation for a body of work, and not just one book. Oh, um, because in my opinion, this artist had one of the best decades anybody has ever had in the 90s. Um, so I am talking about my favorite living artist, Tayo Matsumoto. Hey. Uh, yeah. So in the 90s, Tayo Matsumoto had Blue Spring, Tech on Concrete, Ping Pong, and and uh, in the in 2000, Go Go Monster. Oh uh, wow! All, yeah, that is a good of, stretch. All of which are available through Viz. Also, at, starting in 2000, number five, which uh, Viz just announced a reprint of for next summer yay Uh, this is a like in in terms of theme like these works couldn't be more different i mean blue spring is an anthology about juvenile delinquents in (laughs) very early 90s japan and it's often very tragic it inspired a great live action movie with a uh, the michelle gun elephant uh soundtrack uh blue spring you know the most the most famous segment of blue spring is about like you know uh delinquents who hang out on the roof and have a death wish and play a hand clap game where you where you lean over the edge and clap your hands as many times as you can without falling off to your death and whoever, <laughs> chicken, whoever chickens out first loses and it's like it it hits as exactly as heavy as it sounds uh ping pong is about ping pong but it's about so much more than ping pong too it's about you know like the emotional landscapes of players and the tension between wanting to be good at something and the realities of your talent or the limitations of your talent or how far the magic of play can take you in your life beyond just your time at the table. Like, again, like I said, I am going to struggle to talk about these just because the the main thing I know about them is how they impact me emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. Up, yeah, I think I think that it's in itself says a lot. It, it really does. It really does. And like, you know, Gogo monster is a, another beautiful series about, a, about a loner and the, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to describe the, the, the beings he encounters in his emotional landscape. Mm. Uh, number five is a sort of European inspired, desert trekking series that almost looks like something drawn by like Mobius or Klaus Vorman's art for the uh, Beatles album revolver. It's yes, totally. It's, it's just such wild material, but my, but the, the book that I attribute to uh, bringing me here today, like making me even stick around for the kinds of comics I now find myself sticking up for is Tech on Concrete, which was uh, previously published in the U.S. as Black and White uh, mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. In, in the magazine uh, Pulp. Pulp was a late 90s, early 2000s attempt by Viz to like have a more transgressive uh, collection of manga. Uh, it's where I had first encountered works like Banana Fish. Yes. Uh, it's where I first encountered... Uh, Usamaru Furuya. It's where I first encountered the the future chapters of Phoenix. It's where I first encountered Junji Ito, who was published 
in pulp before he was published anywhere else. Uh, Uzumaki was an early publication. Yep, uh, I, yep. I don't know how well it sold at the time because it still took like another decade or two for his stuff to really, really catch on over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was such a formative magazine to my current tastes. Oh, same. Um, yeah, I remember that was the first time I read any of those artists, too. Like mm-hmm. it was it was hugely impactful on the stuff I bought after that. Yeah, I, I mean, like, and it's just like it just it, it it's such a raw magazine. And if you can find old copies of it, like there's there's just such a wild like breadth of material in there. It's also the first place I ever saw Hideo Yamamoto. Uh, he had a series called, I believe it's called Voyeur's Inc. in that one. And I don't remember the series too well, but uh, Yamamoto is like better known for being the manga artist of uh, Ichi the Killer. Yep. Yep. Like, like I would, so when I say like, this is the adult magazine, like it is the like total sex and violence and. Oh yeah. That's how they uh, advertised it too. They were like, you know, mature uh, manga for mature readers, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And they had like stuff like Dance Till Tomorrow Yep. Uh, like, oh God, so many really good things. Like most of the ones that I remember were the ones you've already mentioned. Uh, but yeah, that was the first time I ever read Tayo Matsumoto. The first time I ever read Jinji Ito. First time I ever read Banana Fish. Like, oh man, memories. But Tech on Concrete is is the is like I like to me this is such a special book. I I bought all of the volumes during i believe it was during the summer in which i had transitioned from like middle to high school and like i just sat and read them over and over and i still have those old copies and like their bindings are falling apart <laughs> um i'm i'm really glad that viz did the big omnibus to reprint the whole series as tech on kincrete yeah uh, but it like this i like i i can't describe tayo matsumoto's artwork very well like i have tried believe me i've tried many times um, but like, I, I know that Tayo's goal has always been to try to become an artist who is a fusion of, uh, Japanese, European and American comic sensibilities. Mm, mm-hmm, and, I, mm-hmm. and I think he succeeds at that. Um, totally. Cause it doesn't I, like, if you look at his work, it doesn't look like what you would stereotypically think of as like quote manga. Right. It, it, it yeah, it's just, it, it looks like a Tayo Matsumoto comic. Like there's yeah. no other way to put it. Like mm-hmm. no one else draws like him. No. Um, and I, like, I, I really am obsessed with his art. Like he just has, he has unusual lines and sometimes like, sometimes anatomy will go out the window just for emotional impact, but it always mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's just such like every page just feels like wild experimentation. I, f- I feel like there's a reason why he and, you, and Masaki Yuasa work together so well. Yeah. Like, I feel like they are sharing the same brain sometimes. <laughs> they are true kindred spirits. They really are. Like, if I had to describe Taiyo Matsumoto's like manga, I would say like, you know how wild and experimental a Masaki Yuasa anime feels? Like, imagine that, but a manga. Yes. That's, that's kind of what it's like. <laughs> that's the best way I can really describe it. Like, if that makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. Like, it, it's that same sort of, it's that same looseness. But, like, at the mm-hmm. same time, you know that, like, this is an exceptionally talented person. Yeah. And, like, and they are drawing that way because that is how they want to express themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, like, all of their, both of their works are incredible. 
And like every time I pick up something new of either of their stuff, like it's just, it's always a treat. I'm just like, oh, it's like a breath of fresh air. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like any of the stuff that's like popular. <laughs> like I, I feel weird saying that. Like I don't mean to be, to be that person. Like, oh, it's completely different from that popular stuff you're reading. But like it really is though. <laughs> Yeah, you'll you'll never read anything else like Tech on Kencrete. Like it's no. uh, and, you, and if you've ever seen the the film like and uh, Tech on Kencrete and you liked it, the, the manga is like even better. Yeah. Well, and and what's interesting about the film too is that the the uh the film is directed by Michael Arias, who mm-hmm. is Tayo's official translator for all the Viz books. Yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah, and what what a what a great connection. Like what a what a you know, what a connection to the material. Um, but the the other thing that has always worked about Tayo for me is that, like, you know, despite all of, like, the visual improvisation, despite, I, I, and I would, again, maybe that's a good way to describe it. Like, there's there's an indie artist in the States I like named Alex Dejan, who does things like uh, the March Noir Library and soft X-ray mind hunters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, but like he, he refers to his own work as paper jazz sometimes. Like, it's oh. just sort of like that, like that visual improvisation. Oh, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, I, I that think that sense. I think that's a level that Matsumoto works on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think the thing that really always hits me about Matsumoto is there is like beneath all the surrealism and abstraction, there is always this like very honest emotional core to the work. Mm-hmm. Um there's always like these very human connections. Like, like I, I can't get through ping pong without crying. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, he has a, he has a work that's not from, uh, this deck, you know, the decade we're talking about sunny. Uh, (gasps) yes. I started reading sunny after you recommended it to me like years ago and I checked it out from the library and it was was so funny because I, I checked out the first volume and I realized I had missed my bus so I sat there and I read that first volume while I was waiting for the bus and I got so engrossed by it. I missed the bus again <laughs> 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 and I finished the whole thing in one sitting. So I literally got up, checked it back in, walked over and picked up the other two that were sitting on the shelf. Yes. <laughs> I was like, comic's so, so good, good. You'll miss a bus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But like like Sunny is Sunny is Tayo's semi autobiographical comic about kids in the foster care system and the way that he was when he was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, and like it it's it's gut wrenching because it feels so true, mm-hmm. um, like the experience of kids who didn't who don't necessarily grow up with you know, their parents or with like responsible parents. Like the thing that the thing that always hits me in the gut about something like Sunny is that so many of the parents in Sunny are not like they're not like the Disney orphan where your parent is dead but you knew that they loved you. Yeah. It's it's just it, your parent was like they couldn't take care of you properly. Yeah, they were too selfish or they were or they were messy in the way that actual human beings are messy. Yeah. Or or they, you know, or they are they or they were too into substance abuse, or they were, like that, or or just, you know, they're 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 a fuck up that didn't want to have a kid, and they had a kid, <laughs> yep. and they didn't know what to do, like, yep. it's like that that hits with such an honesty. But like 
I think like if it weren't for Tekka and Kincrete, I would have never discovered that body of work that has become so important to me. And Tekka mm-hmm. and Kincrete's got so much interesting stuff too. I mean, like it's 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 a very like it's a very punk book. It's a very hip hop book visually, but mm-hmm. like, but it also like it's also like this really like Zen story about yin and yang, and and it's this uh, like it's it's about gentrification and like oh yeah, I was gonna say there's a lot of stuff to be said about like gentrification and cla- capitalism and uh, yeah. all that stuff that still feels like extremely relevant today. <laughs> it, it, the ways that like moneyed interests can destroy like the the unique flavor of a place. Yes, yes, and whole, and bulldoze it. Whole neighborhoods just get the life sucked out of them but it's just these two wild kids called the stray cats running amok and causing problems for for these people and just trying to survive mm-hmm. uh and yeah i i just i think i think that taiyo matsumoto's work is as perfect a set of comics as i've ever read and i'm ever likely to read and i i, I always say this about him but he is my favorite living artist working in any medium and mm. I think that the comics form is incredibly lucky to have him. And mm. I think that I think that anybody listening to this that picks him up would be incredibly lucky to read him uh, in the same way that I have I have felt read, reread, and adored these books, you know, most of my adult life now. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really glad that A, Viz took a chance on publishing these in the first place ages ago, and B, that they're republishing them. Yes. Like I'm I'm really grateful for that because uh, there have been times that I was like, well, I would love to recommend this. However, <laughs> uh, it's out of print and uh, you can't I'm just like and... easily pick it up. And that would suck. Like, it's not really fair for me to recommend you this thing and be like, oh, it's so amazing. And you can't buy it. <laughs> Sorry. All of, all of this is obtainable. And, yes. you know, it's yeah. It, and yeah. it's affordable. Uh, yes. I, I am. I am hoping that one day we get uh, Takemetsu Samurai, which is a uh, a samurai series that he illustrated for another writer. Uh, I know that's that's one of his longer ones at eight volumes. But when I say like you can buy this, the longest one is Sunny, and Sunny is five volumes. Tech on Kinkri is one book. Yeah. Uh, Go Go Monster is one book. Ping Pong is two omnibuses. Like yeah. Yep. And it's some of the best comics you'll ever buy. So mm-hmm. like totally buy with. Anyway, that that yeah. I, like I said, I I struggle to talk about him just because I love him so much. I love <laughs> this work so much. Uh, so I hope that comes through. I'll I'll move on to your last pick. Okay, so ironically, my last pick I kind of struggled with too because I was like, I kind of just want to recommend all of his available body of work. So maybe I'll just do that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> ironically. Um, so originally I was just going to recommend this specific series, uh, which is Captain Harlock, the classic collection by Leiji Matsumoto. If you know me, you know that I very, I'm very passionate about Galaxy Express 39, uh, Captain Harlock, uh, Queen Emeraldus, like that whole leggy verse, if you will. So this was where I really struggled because I was like, I really love so much of his work that it was it's really hard for me to to pinpoint like just one thing that he did because I feel like you get more out of his work the more you read all of them, <laughs> honestly. And because a lot of them are 
similarly to like say Tezuka, they're all sort of connected in this sort of universe of stars, this Leiji Matsumoto star system. So you get more out of things if you've read more of them, like I said. So Captain Harlock is a character that I grew up really loving after I saw the uh, the Rintaro film, the original Galaxy Express 39. And so I was over the moon when Seven Seas announced that they were going to be releasing not only Captain Harlock, but a bunch of other things. And then Kodansha also picked up Queen Emeraldus. And like, I love all of these characters. So to me, they are very special. And it's kind of hard <laughs> as well to really pinpoint like, exactly what's so special about these characters to me but I feel like with Harlock it's a little easier because Harlock kind of represents this like romantic ideal of being yourself and flying under your own flag and being truly free and when I was younger that like weirdly hit me like super hard like I think that was the thing that made him seem so cool in like the galaxy express movie was that like, here was this guy, he was just, you know, doing what he felt was right. Even when other people told him it wasn't. And to me, that was like super just like, Oh man, what a cool guy. And not Um, even in like that wicked anti-hero way. It's just, no, he's like amazingly wholesome, which is the best part because like, he's not one of these, like you said, like anti-heroes where he's like, Ooh, he's bad, but he's also good. No, he is literally good. Like pretty much all the time. <laughs> and he's got that cool scraggly bird. Oh, Mr. Bird. I love Mr. Bird. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, uh, the whole universe of like the 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 galaxy express and all of those characters are this you know beautiful romantic sort of space opera thing that really set the stage for so many things that came after it like everybody wanted to capture that magic they felt when they you know opened that you know manga and saw a train flying through space like wow like how amazing and beautiful does that feel <laughs> like to see a an a classic locomotive train just flying through space like it sounds kind of ridiculous but like on the page let me tell you it just it hits different <laughs> as the kids say but captain harlock was was basically like a character that would always do what he felt was right in his heart, no matter what. Uh, Emeraldus is also a character who like similarly lives by a similar credo. And she's just like super badass and amazing without like, you know, what we usually see in like a shonen manga where there's a lead female character. Like there's none of that, like, you know, sort of leering fan service that we get nowadays, uh, which it feels weird to have to go back so far to get that sort of <laughs> character. Uh, you would think we would have learned from that, but it, apparently we're still struggling. But just the feeling I get when I read like one of these like Leiji Matsumoto things is like it's that sort of romantic almost like well it is like see, he's they're pirates so it's like that romantic sort of pirate-esque thing but in space uh where 
he just let his imagination run wild and it's just so oh it's over the top and amazing and really cool and a lot of the plot points like still feel weirdly relevant uh to to our current times and lives which is uh, a little disappointing um but also i would also recommend kind of separate from the galaxy express 39 universe the uh space battleship yamato series which was a huge 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 impact on basically any science fiction anime that came after it and manga yeah it's it's in the super robot wars games these days for a reason <laughs> yeah a lot of people i noticed when these when these you know classics first came out there were some people who were like really disappointed because they were like well this one just kind of ends and it doesn't feel like it's a complete story or you know this one kind of just drifted off into like sort of a anticlimactic ending and you know also back then like you know manga wasn't stretched out to be like as long as it can be sometimes now so it's just kind of like well there it is (laughs) Well, and, and and the space western genre of anime, which so many of us love, would not be what it is without him at all. Oh, oh no, because like Leiji Matsumoto, like we only have like a tiny sliver of his work printed in English. I mean, he's done basically the space cowboy <laughs> story so many times in so many different ways that uh, that's pretty much like his hallmark at this point. Uh, I mean. Uh, a long time ago, well, it feels like a long time ago now, I did an article that uh, was basically like, here's all the different versions of Captain Harlock <laughs> that have ever been made. And there are a staggering amount of uh, different stories that have been told about Captain Harlock. And some of them are considered canon and some of them are not. <laughs> uh, but it truly, like, Harlock in general, has been, like, this iconic character for decades. And, you know, he's well-beloved for a reason. Like, those stories, it's so easy to just get caught up in the, like, the romance of, like, ah, space opera, space pirates. Like, that whole genre is just so appealing, and you can do so much with it and tell so many stories. It's, Uh, it's, It's funny that you were talking earlier about, like, you know, the feelings you had as a kid of, like, wanting to be, yeah, like, to experience that same kind of freedom that Harlock has, because I I realized very recently, I was having quarantine thoughts, you know, like, where, like, you're stuck in your house all the time, like, one of the daydreams I was going off into was, like, man, wouldn't it be great just to be able to, like, drift through space and do whatever you want? And then I realized, I realized I was literally just daydreaming about Captain Harlock and just not seeing his face yet, you know? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I mean, I do that quite often, but probably for different reasons. Well... Yeah, I'm, it's, I, I'm just doing POV. You are Harlock. You know, like. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, can I just, you know, be with Captain Harlock? Like, yeah. I, look, I don't blame you. He's a <laughs> handsome man. <laughs> I mean, I was, it's well documented. I've said before that I was that weird kid that was like, you know, watching Galaxy Express 39 as a, as a kid and being like, oh. I love him. No, I also love Queen Emeraldus. Uh, uh, I'm very confused right now. <laughs> to be fair, like there aren't a lot of other hot guys in the in the world of like, Captain Harlock. Like he's he's literally like, the only guy that's not shaped like a potato. <laughs> 
or he's not like some kind of robot person or something but he loves a man that is shaped like a potato (laughs) and 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 we love him for it (laughs) that's why i feel like i have a chance i am all i too am very potato shaped (laughs) yeah no yeah yeah harlock is easy on the eyes this is also true yes yes um uh, most famously, you know, Leiji Matsumoto, I think, got his start by drawing Shoujo. And I think that's why um, Harlock has some very soft and appealing features. <laughs> Probably also the same goes for Queen Emeraldus. But but yeah, like, if you've ever been remotely interested in, like, you know, where some of these classic manga and anime, like, you know, tropes or whatever uh, have come from. Leiji Matsumoto started a lot of them. <laughs> and it, it it's really great that Seven Seas was able to put out, like, the classic Harlock collection and the Space Battleship Yamato collection. Uh, both of those in omnibus form and I believe in, uh, yes, digitally, digital ebooks are available of that too. But, like, the the omnibus is it's only like three for Harlock and one single book for Space Battleship Yamato, uh, but it's interesting to see where the the manga went and basically was kind of like a blueprint for the anime that came after. Yes. Uh, so if you were ever wondering where like you know all of those jokes about the the wave motion gun come from when you're watching your science fiction <laughs> anime. Uh, that's where it came from. <laughs> and, and, you know, honestly, props to Seven Seas. Like, they have been doing such a great job with those classic releases because you've got so much Go Nagai coming from them, too. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was many. it was really hard for me to... Because I, I was really on the fence. I was like, do I want to do Leiji Matsumoto? Or do I want to do Devil Man? Because we also got those classic Devil Man releases that are really, really good. But... In my heart, I knew that, like, you know, Captain Harlock, mm, it speaks a little bit more to me just because I have that connection Absolutely. With, with it. Um, but I do definitely recommend pretty much any of those classic collection series that uh, Seven Seas have been putting out. Uh, They're they all really well put together. They're super nice, giant hardcovers. Uh, they're not... I mean, they're kind of expensive if you buy them uh, full price retail, but they go on sale an awful lot. So, yep. And hey, like like we said earlier, the the uh, Shotaro Ishinomori Super Sentai manga coming soon. So yeah, lots of stuff there. Hopefully, we get some more from him too. The Godfather of Common Rider and Kikaider and all that and Sentai and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. If you are a, a big Toku fan, like this is your chance to read like some of the original stuff, like the really classic stuff that like, I never thought we were going to get in English. Nope. Uh, so I was very excited when they uh, announced that news. Cause I'm not as well versed in tokusatsu history as some of my friends are, uh, but I would love to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been mm-hmm. trying, I've, I've been trying to get in on those, those Kaman writers and, uh, and uh, such. Uh, all you young folks who have been saying you should watch this and this and this and I'm like okay I'm taking notes I'm trying my I, best I will, come on guys I need you to buy this so I can get the nice big hardcover of Cyborg 009 okay come do this for us <sighs> I, but, uh... I, I really do hope that that because I think 
as of right now, I think those are still like a Comixology exclusive oh, thing. Okay. okay. Which is kind of unfortunate. I would rather have physical books always, but I mean, if it's but there, there is a way to get to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with blackjack. I would much rather be able to tell you, you can go buy this physical book, but because, because we're old heads that like physical copies, but, <laughs> but if it's, if there's a way to read it, it's out there, go find it. But yeah, no, I, I just want to double back to Leiji real quick. Uh, I, also, I'm hopeful that someday, some way, we will see some uh, some of the Galaxy Express manga. I remember uh, reading in An America. Yes, they used to they used to print some of those, and yeah, um, I loved them when we had access. I mean, you know, bless Discotech for giving us pretty much every Galaxy Express anime you could ever want now. But I, I would love to reread the source. Yeah, yeah, I have those old. Um... <laughs> those old Viz uh, graphic novels of the Galaxy Express releases that they did. Uh, ironically, they're not actually the old that the OG Galaxy. They're like Express. a sequel series, right? Yeah, it's the sequel series, but they didn't call it that. They they just called it Galaxy Express three nine. But it takes place after the events of like what you would see in the the, the first movie. Sure. Uh, so, which is where where Viz at the time probably would have wanted you to pick up on it anyway. And yeah, exactly. They were like, "Well, you already know that, so how about this?" <laughs> there's a, there's a panel in that one I think about all the time, and it's um it's Tetsuro talking about like he says something like he's like, "Well, I feel safe because I breathed it through my finely developed nose hairs." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Leji Matsumoto for you. <laughs> Okay, so I know we gave like a bunch of honorable mentions while we were talking about our picks, but if there are more honorable mentions that you would like to talk about now that we've each done our five plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I'll throw out some that uh, did not get in on my list for my technicalities, I guess. Uh, I will tell you that one of the manga I have uh, been really enjoying during quarantine because uh, I I love a cozy mystery and I love a weird mystery. So like I you know it's this I got into this because during quarantine I was reading like a bunch of like Agatha Christie books. Then I got into like I was like let me explore uh, Japanese mysteries. So I was reading like the Kinda Ichi mystery novels by um, ah. Seishi Yokomizu. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I started reading Edogawa Rampo, who is like the the godfather of like weird horror Japanese mysteries. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you might recognize Rampo if you've read uh, the new Ito collection, Venus in the Blind Spot. There is an adaptation of his infamously perverse story, The Human Chair. Yes, uh, it's so creepy. But he, but he was one of the, uh, he was one of the like just the founders of like Japanese uh, perceptions of like detective fiction and horror. I mean, to the point where I didn't realize this because I didn't pay attention and wasn't really thinking about it. But like Edagawa Rampo is just his version of trying to say Edgar Allan Poe, but making it Japanese. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, didn't notice that until I I read something somewhere about it, and I was like, oh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 I was sitting there and I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, Adagawa. And I thought, like, you know what? I, I I love detective fiction of that kind. So I should go read Detective Conan, uh, Conan Adagawa. So yeah. I, I've read the first several volumes of Detective Conan, or Case Closed, as it's called here, after the 
the uh, short-lived, well, not too short-lived, but the you know defunct um, Funimation dub of the anime, mm-hmm. uh, which apparently uh, THS is still interested in keeping that branding alive in the West. So says Discotech, who's been putting the movies out lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but Detective Conan, the manga, I have, I've only read like the first dozen volumes, but good Lord, it's it's been great fun. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, I read, I think, the first uh, five or six volumes. So it was it was less than ten. I, I, I only remembered that far. Uh, but I remember them being really good. And then I realized, like, oh, this is a this is one of those shonen titles that's just going to keep going and going and going, isn't it? And uh, I've been right so far. <laughs> I think they're they're up to like ninety eight or more volumes at this point, which is why I'll never be able to own this one physically, and I won't yeah. even try. Yeah, sadly. It's but just... I have been reading it digitally, Ooh. and mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it it operates for me in the same way that like I enjoy watching like I enjoy reading about like Poirot or watching an old Columbo or something. It's like yeah, here, here is a quick mystery I can read. The 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 murders in Conan are so outlandish most of the time that like oh they are outrageous <laughs> like <laughs> the I mean the the story opens with that decapitation on the uh, on the <laughs> yes roller coaster. the roller coaster that's the first one <laughs> that's and, the like, very first thing uh, yeah and then Conan having to solve like while they were all in the dark in a tunnel, how a man got decapitated on a roller coaster. And like the solution is so out there, but it, yeah, it, it works. I, I, I have almost so far. I have not really been able to guess, even though they tell me like, you have all the tools. I haven't been able to guess because like the, the, the methods of murder are like so, so bizarre, but like the way he draws them is so great. Like, and, uh, and as a uh, detective fiction nerd, too, I love that at the end of every volume, he usually does a profile of like a famous literary or TV or film detective from different cultures of the world, uh, which is very educational. And he'll give you like, you know, he'll show his work and be like, oh, I recommend you watch this movie for this character or read this story or that book. Or mm-hmm. uh, So, like, uh, you know, you can tell that uh, the, uh, the the artist Gosho Oyama is a true detective fiction nerd. He shows his work often. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's super fun to read. Uh, ominously, I'm going to say a lot of Detective Conan fans have like latched on, on Twitter when I've been like posting panels and going like, wow, I miss when the art looked like that. Or boy, you don't even know what you're in for. So I have oh, no, <laughs> I have no idea where it's going to go. Uh, and the, you know, the concept of like the main character being turned back into a little boy and having to like fake a you know, fake persona and, uh, Oh, it, it 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 goes it goes in some unusual places, but the the core mysteries that are like last a cup two three chapters usually, and like you can pick it up and put it down and then just come back to it at any time. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's perfect for quarantine read. It's perfect for like anybody who just loves to sit with a cozy mystery. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed that one a lot. I'd also recommend um, just quick two quick ones. Uh, technically I couldn't do this one. It did start in 1999 and I thought about squeaking it through, but I won't. Uh, I, I love the sci-fi series Planets by Makoto Yukimura. Oh yeah. That's uh, a good one. Dark Horse reprinted those. It's about junkers in space. Uh, just, you know, trying to make a living and, uh, and then they're in the, in the tangles of their lives as they consider the universe. 
Mm-hmm. Beautiful stuff. Uh, you might know Yukimura from Vinland Saga and from his very active uh, Twitter account in which he addresses most of his uh, English-speaking fans very kindly these days. Aww. Uh, also, uh, I am a huge fan of Takahiko Inoue's Vagabond, which technically started before the period, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to go there. But uh, that is one of the most beautiful samurai comics you'll ever read. So. Oh, yeah. Totally. Um, to go along with that, uh, I would also highly recommend Slam Dunk, one of my favorite series, one of my favorite sports series of all time. Uh, it's oh, it's just so good. Uh, I love the anime, but the manga is even better because it yes. goes further than what was covered in the anime. So if you ever watched the anime and were like, that's it? Uh, <laughs> there is plenty more to be had in the manga. Uh, I only didn't recommend it because it is pretty long and there are no digital uh, versions of it out as of this recording. So you kind of have to find the physical volumes, which is kind of a pain. Uh, J- but if- Japan's getting omnibus editions that are like thicker. And I'm kind of hoping that is in, that is a good omen for like a Viz reprint in the future. Same. I would really, really, really love that if that could happen. Uh, if we could somehow also get a digital release, that would also be pretty great. But the, but unfortunately, just like Ikeda, that may be an Inoue thing. Yeah, unfortunately. But I I love Slam Dunk. It is so worth it. <laughs> it is it is not just a sports manga. It is a delinquent manga. It is so good if you love. Any of those, like, really cool, like, uh, shonen delinquent series, like, you will probably love Slam Dunk a whole uh, hell of a lot. Incredibly adored by men and women in Japan. Oh, highly adored by women. Like The, the, the boys are beautiful, and they... <laughs> and they really love each other. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I always laugh at uh, just how blatant uh, the... <laughs> the closing sequence of the anime, the anime is where they're all laying like sweaty and shirtless in a pile together. <laughs> what you mean? You don't lay sweaty and shirtless in a pile with your bros. I mean, yes, but <laughs> I don't usually like put them over credits. Uh, no, that's fair. <laughs> Slam dunk tends to be on the top of like, even to this day when you ask uh, like, you know, uh, Japanese people of a certain generation, what the greatest manga mm. of all time was. It's usually mm-hmm. pretty high. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was basically the thing that brought basketball to Japan, which is incredible when you think about it. Like, literally a whole sport was made popular by a single manga. <laughs> like, and and the, the artwork really couldn't be better. Like, it's it, so good. It's, and also for, like, you know, people people tend to make fun of, like, the anime in some ways because of, like, oh, you know, like, the, the, like how condensed and, like, padded out some of the uh, basketball sequences can be and it plays out much faster on a page just like yeah. Dragon Ball yeah oh yeah for sure for sure uh, but yeah I I feel like Slam Dunk kind of gets lost in the conversation of a really amazing uh, sports series because it's a little bit older and you know most people who are consuming it probably started with s- stuff like say uh, Kuroko's Basket and um haiku and stuff like that and not to say those are bad uh but slam dunk is just oh it's so good and it's right there 
I hope like <laughs> Slam Dunk is the giant that they're all standing on. <laughs> like oh, they're yeah. standing on the shoulders of Slam Dunk and Oh, and, 100%. You know, and and I, I will say too, uh Inoue, I, I, I do Inoue did take like a fairly, you know, permanent hiatus from the the uh just the punishing deadlines of manga. And he's been very vocal about that. I understand he might've done a little bit more real recently. Um, yes. Yes. But, We're supposed to be getting like an actual volume of that coming out soon. And in, that's also in Japan. I highly say. recommended. But, uh, but like I, I do, I do want to say though, I, I love that he seems to be living his best life these days. Like if oh, you, yeah. if you look at his Twitter, he's just, he's just going to basketball games and drawing illustrations of, you know, like the, the up and coming players. I also understand that he seems to have a scholarship. Uh, yes, he has a basketball scholarship specifically, in Japan. Specifically for Japanese players who want to go to college in America to potentially get picked up by the NBA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Like, yeah, so. what a guy. That's a man who knows what he loves and has like excelled at it to the degree that he made an entire nation care about one of the greatest sports in the world. So, yeah, which is just like it's still mind blowing to me to this day. Like, I could not believe it. Like a single person's manga <laughs> made the whole nation fall in love with a sport. Like that's that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, but that manga is so beautiful and amazing. <laughs> That it's no wonder that people fell in love with basketball. And from beginning to end, you can you can see his art just constantly evolving. Oh, it's so good. Like, I mean, it, it it's no surprise how people fell in love with this series because it's so easy to fall in love with these characters. They're so good. They're so wonderful. Each each boy is a good boy, and I want to pat each one of them on the head and tell and them the, they are good. And the bad boys are the goodest boys of all. They are. <laughs> They really are. Uh, but yeah, Slam Dunk, like, the only reason it wasn't one of my five picks was just accessibility issue yep. and and the fact that it's so long. Yep. Uh, <laughs> also, I wanted to throw in uh, another person's, like, basically body of work uh, because I feel like she's more... She's more visible in the indie manga scene or indie comic scene, I should say, really than anything else. I feel like right now, or even maybe the toy design community. Uh, but that's um, Junko Mizuno. Mm. I really love her work. It's so unique and so like the minute you see a Junko Mizuno piece of art, you know exactly who who drew it. It's super recognizable, iconic, unique. Um, she just kind of exploded in the late 90s uh, for a lot of manga readers. Uh, I think Viz was one of the first people to they start... published put- Cinderella. Yes, they were one of the first people that started putting out her stuff regularly, I should say, because I feel like... Um, it was Hell Babies that first got published over here, I believe, but that was by a different publisher. Um, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. But, um, you know, Viz was really the one who, uh, the publisher that saw, like... I, I believe Last Gasp might have been the first. <gasps> yes, I think. But but Viz was really, like, they were really good at marketing her work. Like, they really getting her into more, like, mainstream bookstores. Because I remember picking up uh, Cinderella in a Walden books. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hansel and Gretel was there too. <laughs> yep. And those books are still in print. And I feel like if you love just really unique and weird and cool sort of adult indie manga and you have never read Junko Mizuno, you're missing out on basically she was at the forefront of like American manga fandoms, like sort of weird adult <laughs> uh, manga stuff uh, and inspired like a whole generation of people because her style was just so unique and different from anything that was coming out then or really since. I mean, there's lots of people who like took inspiration from her and really ran with it. But like, you know, she was the first, you know, she was the original. And, um, and recently, like, every Mizuno panel looks like it's demanding to be like a cute goth tattoo. Oh, yeah. Like I see so <laughs> I see so many people tweet at her going like, oh, I really want to get your work tattooed on me. Is that okay? And every single time without fail, she's like, oh, yes, please do. And show me photos. Like, I yeah. love it. Like, she's very open and very kind to her her fan base, like especially her English readers. Her Twitter is great, too, because she will post dual tweets. Like, she'll post a tweet in Japanese, and immediately there is the same tweet in English. Like, she knows exactly how popular she is in English uh, with a certain audience, <laughs> uh, I should say. But um, yeah, one of her early book, like I think it was her first ever like full published manga was Pure Trance. And I believe that was out of print for like quite some time, but it just recently got a reprint that was like hardcover, super nice, like way nicer than the old one. So I'm kind of tempted to like <laughs> trade up my old paperback one for it because it's really, really nice. Um, but, uh, if you've never read any of her stuff, it's very sort of like nineties, weird girl, like fantasy stuff. <laughs> like it's this mix of cute, but gory and like fashionable as well. Like it's very appealing to me, uh, like graphically it, it, it's very pleasing to my eye. She, she does a lot of really cool, like shapes and colors that are just like it's really hard to explain but like she she really goes full out with like doing stuff that you know she doesn't shy away from like stuff that's like you know sex drug usage cinderella is basically poking fun at like the idol industry and like all this other stuff like it's just really interesting to see how she retells these stories through like a completely different cultural lens and um and in like really cool colorful ways too like a lot of her stuff is like printed in full color um and it uses every inch of that space for to fill it with color oh yeah like i i really love the, the that cinderella that original copy of cinderella i read it so many times that i had to buy a second copy because it was falling apart and oh, and it came with stickers in the back. It I remember came with that, stickers. which was like so unusual for the time. I was like, you th I get stickers with her artwork. <gasps> I was like so excited about that. I put those stickers everywhere. I specifically remember I put one of the biggest ones on the back of my Sailor Moon lunchbox. <laughs> I I felt like the coolest girl in the neighborhood. <laughs> because, like, you know, Mizuno was also, like, she wasn't shy with, like, you know, drawing 
her female characters like wearing just nothing at all or in lingerie. And so I felt like I was totally badass because I had this sticker of Cinderella and she was just fully naked. (laughs) Yeah, punk as fuck. Let's go. I was like, yeah, I'm so cool. (laughs) And you were. Who can who can dispute it? Uh, But yeah, Junko Mizuno, I feel like a whole generation of manga readers just really vibed with that and went on to make really cool weird adult comics and i feel like it's uh it's it would be really cool to see uh, a new generation sort of fall in love with her comics i hope she's still uh being enjoyed by people even now like she must be doing something right because you know we still see reprints of her stuff to this day so even if you don't see a lot of her stuff on like you know what's current and what's hot with manga uh you know there are people out there reading it and I hope they're enjoying it. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like we went through so many like really awesome, really cool manga. Um, so now hopefully so many of you have uh, uh, maybe a really long list or at least a short list of things that you might want to check out. Or maybe poke around your local library and see if they have something that interested you. Uh, we did get like some pretty good questions um from listeners let's see here okay i'll try to keep it to just there were a few that kind of repeated so i will try to trim it down to just the ones that um, i'll i'll answer them all in a different way (laughs) well we don't want to be here all day sure uh so let's see oh this is a good one okay so japanese bird dad asks with titles like tayo matsumoto's number five coming back what titles would you like to see rescued from decades past? Ooh, I'll let you go first. I have to think about this. Oh, man. There, there are so many manga titles that companies did, like, back in the 90s, where they just released them in, like, American-style floppies, and we never got, like, a graphic novel of them. Um, like, let's see... Uh, like, oh, Motohagi as they were 11, uh, was only available in floppy form. And that's a big one. That's a big one. And a, um, like a volume of like shoujo stories that Viz put out. I would love to see any of that get put into a collection, like a Motohagi collection of the, they were 11 stories and the continuation. I would love that because that's like one of my favorite Motohagio things and I am like you know fingers crossed that you know because we've been getting some Motohagio stuff maybe eventually we will see it I would love that um let's see uh area 88 I would love to see that get rescued even though like I mean it probably won't happen but uh you know if we're dreaming dream big um uh oh there was one that uh, Dark Horse did that I really loved. It was like a one-volume series. Uh, well, I assume it one volume because it was only like nine floppy issues, but it never got into like a collected like graphic novel. It was called Chrono War by Kazumasa Takayama. And it was this really interesting <laughs> series about this satellite that crashed lands in Tokyo and on it was 
is this like sort of uh, like alien consciousness, I guess. And, <laughs> and the story is about how um, these regular people, specifically one of them is just like a, a regular Japanese housewife gets entangled in this uh, very strange uh, story about uh, this alien that wants to maybe do harmful things. <laughs> and it is so, the artwork is so cool and unique. It's very like cyberpunky, but like not like ghost in the shell cyberpunky, but more like the Rosian Z sort of style of cyberpunky where like weird shit happens to regular people. <laughs> I'm down and, with that. Yeah. And I really, loved this like it is like this weird niche like bizarre story that like i feel like maybe two people out there other than me probably bought it but i really really enjoyed it and um i was always really sad that they never put it in a graphic novel because anytime i brought it up with anyone they would l be like what are you talking about like i've never heard of this even this trying even to even trying to Google search it, because you mentioned it before the show, I mainly got stuff like Chrono Crusade. Yeah, and I was like, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it at all. But, like, this came out, <laughs> this came out in, like, 1996. Like, uh, it was it was some time ago. But it was one of those things that uh, Torrin Smith and Studio Proteus did uh, back in the day. And it was really cool and weird, and I loved it. And, um... I would love to see that, like, get brought back, but that's probably never going to happen because, like, it's not based off of an anime or anything popular, so nobody cares. Oh, we also brought up, I think before the show, I brought up, like, uh, Three by Three Eyes, uh, yes. Southern Eyes. Uh, that's never going to happen, and I know that because it's, like, 40 volumes. Uh, and that's probably the reason why Dark Horse never released all of it, but I still would like it. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of older stuff that I wish would get picked up, but, like, I'm kind of struggling now to think of specific things because a lot of stuff that I did hope would get picked up again has been now, like Urusei Atsura and Meizu Nikoku and... Um, honestly, uh, uh, honestly, number five, which the, the asker, uh, hi, Japanese bird dad, uh, uh, they they mentioned that that had been my number one answer for so long because that was a series Viz had attempted uh, back in the pulp days with Kyle, yeah. and they printed two volumes and then just dropped it because I heard it didn't sell very well back then, and I'm glad yeah. that there seems to be the audience for Tayo now, and I hope it does much better this time. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm I'm Same. thrilled we're getting that, and so like that was my number one answer. And then uh, there was uh, Fist of the North Star, which would have been my answer. You know, <laughs> right? We're, we're, we're getting that now. Uh, so I, I have I have a few now. I, you've bought me some time, and I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> as a as a huge fan of the art of uh, Ryoichi Ikegami, I would love to see reprints of My the Psychic Girl. <gasps> yes, I cannot believe that we haven't gotten that yet like that was such a big deal back in the day it was and and i also would love to see reprints of sanctuary which yes is the ultimate yakuza manga and i think with the popularity of things like the yakuza games uh there might be an audience for that that's right? bigger now right like i i 
I'm always very confused by that one not being in print, too, because, like, like you said, the Yakuza stuff is, like, pretty big right now. And I, I feel like it would be super easy to sell that to a Yakuza fan. And artistically, I feel very confident that those games were an influence. Oh, for sure. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. rather th- that manga was an influence on those games, rather. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know what you meant. It's okay. Yeah. I just gotta um, make sure the listener understands. <laughs> no. uh, but but also uh, one more. Um, I I, I was in high school. I was a fan of uh, a manga that they referred to at the time as Striker, uh, which is better known as Spriggan. Yes. And with Netflix and David Production announcing an anime, uh, I think that the outcome of like possibly getting. A reprint of that is probably likely. Yes. Uh, so th- I think that could happen. And, uh, you know, just like you said, my three, three times three eyes, like, will this ever happen? I would love to see print editions of Grappler Baki, but I am a realist. <laughs> I am a realist. And I'm just glad that we have some digital of that now. But like, it's it's just not going to happen. Like, I know R- Raijin, God bless them. They tried. Yeah. Uh, they they did what they could, <laughs> but yeah. like I I would love to see something like that or um uh, or a uh, city hunter. I mean, but again, we're getting the anime now thanks to Discotech. Yes. Uh, and oh gosh, there was one more. It was on the tip of my tongue. Oh, I, I'd love to see some of um Yoshikazu Yasuhiko's other stuff uh, that Comics One used to publish, like Joan. Yes, I was lucky and I got all of that uh, before it got crazy out of print i was um, unlucky and i saw a buddy of mine pick up all the copies of that in the comic shop before i saw them <laughs> oh no the worst but, feeling because you're like yes. oh i'm happy for you but oh yes. no not me <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm still i'm still very happy for my friend and he he made a good call and he let me read them all and that's what oh matters. that's that's so, good yeah another yeah. like beautiful full color series like oh man honestly I, I mean, outside of Gundam, uh, Yasuhiko has so many, like, interesting period, like, piece comics. I would mm-hmm. love to see. Totally. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my list for that question. Um, quickly, I will throw out one more because I just thought of that. Uh, Viz also, Viz did a lot of, like, oh, we're going to put out, like, the first two volumes of this and then uh, see if it sticks. And if it doesn't, oh, well. Um, but uh, o- Ogre Slayer. Okay. Oh, Dagger of Kamui on the yes. same on the same note. Dagger of Kamui. There we go. <laughs> yes, but um, Ogre Slayer, famously a uh, a very very graphic, very bloody uh, sort of horror manga about a teenage boy who has to uh, slay Japanese monsters uh, f- that I first read back in Manga Vision. Oh, the, God, the oldest Viz magazine. The oldest? <laughs> um, I I loved that one. And uh, I think Viz also did Dagger of Kamui, didn't they? Yes, that's what, I, that's, that's what made me, like, get really alert there. Sorry. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, the, the basis of that classic Rintaro movie. Hey. Super, super good. But, yeah, I mean, we could probably sit here and... Well, we think. keep going with it. But we have, we have other questions. Um, and I guess it goes without saying, I would love to see Blackjack back in print, obviously. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and Phoenix, and Phoenix. Uh, and Phoenix. Both of those you can get digitally, but man, I would love to be able to buy that whole book. <laughs> Hold it in your hand, that's all. Yes. 
Uh, Viga, I hope I'm saying this right, uh, asks, how do you organize your manga? By size, alphabetically, alphabetically, but separated by size, or gulp randomly? I, okay. I, I, I will tell you, a lot of people on Twitter go like, hey, can I see, like, all your shelves? And, you know, I, I, I always hesitate because I'm like, oh, let me, let me, like, organize them more first. And, like, I, I'm always going to delay that because I, I do have some kind of system, but it, it only makes sense to me. So it's not random. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I live in a pretty small place. And I do not have the space or the money to get adequate shelving for all of my books, which makes me sad inside. So please don't shame me. <laughs> I, I understand the struggle for space, which is why I don't, which is why I can't buy 98 volumes of Detective Conan. Yeah. Or... So I have a shelf in my living room where I have sort of like a rotating set of like favorites. I guess you would say. And when I buy new things or I am currently reading something like stuff goes in and out kind of here and there, uh, whatever I'm thinking at the time, you know, it's, it's all just whatever. And, um, my other books either kind of pile up in little neat piles around the apartment, uh, or, they go into, uh, I converted my linen closet into a book closet. <laughs> hey! <laughs> because I didn't have very many linens, but I sure as hell had a lot of books. <laughs> so uh, sometimes I'll take something out of the closet if I'm going to read it again for like the umpteenth time. And I'll bring it out and maybe put it on the shelf. Maybe not. Maybe it'll go into a pile. Maybe it won't. Um, so books are constantly floating around. So I don't really sort them in any sort of way. So like if someone were to look at my bookshelf, they would probably like if they organize things alphabetically, they would probably cry because it is just whatever, <laughs> like 24 seven in a way that only makes sense to me, similar to yours. <laughs> well, I, I, I try to like, there's certain things I have certain shelves for. Like I, I do like, like certain authors I'll put together. Like, so I have a Tayo Matsumoto shelf. I have a mm -hmm. Junji Ito shelf. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a horror manga shelf like or or I get books that I think are like tonally similar in some way like mm -hmm. like my Doro Hidoro and Golden Kamui books are next to each other. Yeah, or, that makes sense. Or like I have uh, I have a shelf in my living room, which is um, uh, like delicious in dungeon, which had uh, which had atelier and uh, my hardcover Discworld books like, oh, that's the fun fantasy shelf, you know? Oh, OK. So, I mean, yeah, that so makes sense to me. Little things like that. But like, I, I don't like, I don't consider like alphabetization so much or anything. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Um, I did recently get like, one of my neighbors was throwing out this very skinny shelf and I was mm. like, Ooh, free shelf. <laughs> you know, always take like, a free shelf. Yes. Always take a free shelf. Um, so I dragged that skinny shelf all the way back from, uh, where they were leaving it near the dumpster in my my facility and dragged it all the way back to my apartment um cleaned it up real nice and uh since it's skinny it only holds like you know a little bit of stuff so uh i have one shelf is all leji matsumoto stuff 
since you know there's not a whole bunch of his work. Um, I have one shelf is just the drifting classroom omnibuses, and another shelf is just like one shot volumes that I like that I think would look pretty on a shelf next to some of my random knickknacks and things. Yeah. So kind of just whatever. <laughs> I, I think I think both of our answers concisely is like rotating collection of favorites. Yeah, yeah. Cause like um on one half of one of my bigger shelves, like I have all of my Satoshi Khan books. And um uh, I have one shelf that's like mostly just Romiko Takahashi with some other things. And, uh, you know, I have a very nice space of uh, real estate for Sailor Moon, obviously. You got to make room for that. And then like uh, the bottom shelf is like the biggest. So like oversized things kind of go down there. Like, you know, um, the big uh, uh, Batman manga, that big Batman manga book goes oh, down there the Jiro Kawada. wonderful yeah and um you remember back in the day when like some manga was released in like those really large oversized print uh sort of collections like i have hotel harbor view down there and oh uh, and um i'm trying to look it's getting darker uh oh on- onward towards our noble death is down there and um, you know, the stuff that's like larger than like a normal size manga. And just the one and dones. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like my my Nausicaa of the Valley of Wind set is down there because it's giant ginormous. Um <laughs> speaking of ginormous things, like I have literally no place for my Akira box, so it is currently <laughs> sitting under my coffee table. <laughs> I it is a coffee table unto itself. I yeah, it, I it, I so moved big. recently and I couldn't box it. So I just had to carry it up. This I had to carry it on its own. Like I didn't even, it's its own box. It is. I mean, thankfully it comes in a box. So yes. that's, that's helpful. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, you just can't store it anywhere reliably. It's just, it's just going to exist in your house. Yeah. It is a massive brick of a, <laughs> of a collection, which I love. I love it to death. It's so nice. It's beautiful collection, but like it is, huge (laughs) like uh, I was uh, I did not think before I bought it where will I put this giant box of (laughs) bombs yeah I I don't I don't necessarily look at the dimensions listed on like the listing before I buy a book you know so when it shows up it's like oh okay it's like this huh yeah yeah so I mean as much as I would love to put it like next to um, most of my volumes of blackjack and like all of my Junji Ito stuff like it will not fit in that shelf, no matter how hard I try. It's just too big. It's too big. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't love it. I lovingly have it under my coffee table so that I may pull it out at any time and gaze upon its beauty. And prop your feet up on Tetsuo. Anytime. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that like, you know, whatever book organization system works for you, go for it. It's yep. fine. I'm, there's there's no book shelf shaming here. And I, I and I know some people who see, have seemingly random shelves, but if you ask them where something was, they know exactly where it was. Oh so, yeah, yeah. I, I yep. if if you ask <laughs> if you ask me where my volume of kaiji is, I can point you right exactly where it is. It's not in any sort of like order that only it's an in it's an in a in a place only I know. <laughs> 
right. Read Kaiji. Okay, next question. Next. <laughs> okay, so Radio Minmei asks, with some older series getting Western releases finally, what old se- old school series would you like to see localized that never got brought over previously? Okay, I'm going to keep this simple, because I know both of you and I could have, like, enormous lists. Oh, um, totally. So I, I did say Kyo- I want more Kyoko Okazaki earlier, and I, I stick mm-hmm. by that. But mm-hmm. uh, I have two right off the top of my head. Uh, I would love to see anything by Daijiro Morohoshi uh, translated. Uh, I know he has a series called Yokai Hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also tends to draw a lot of great, surreal, old horror manga. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I would love some Daijiro Morohoshi. Uh, and I'd also really, really love to see someone gamble on um, Tetsuya Chiba's Ashita Nojo manga. Oh, that would be amazing. I would love that. Oh, man. I mean, you saw the reaction when the anime was announced. Like, people would lose their minds if we could actually read the manga. Oh, I mean, I'd be one of them. (laughs) Me too. Me too. And it's only 20 volumes, so it doesn't seem like an impossible dream. Yeah, it's not like, uh, you know, Sazenai's where it's like 40 books or something. Where you're like... And you can do the two-in-one hardcover, whatever you need to do. You know, like, yeah, make it even shorter. I mean, capital, capitalize on the fans of Megalobox and stuff. Like, go for <laughs> yes, it. Megalobox. Oh man, yeah. Just, just be like, hey, this is the thing that Megalobox was loosely based on. Please, uh, <laughs> the the I'll I'll keep it short and I'll do two as well. Um, firstly, I would love to see more classic shoujo being released in the vein of like, you know, the Rose of Versailles, like specifically uh, aim for the ace. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That would be amazing. I would just, if someone announced that tomorrow, I would probably have a heart attack and die of happiness. (laughs) Also discotheque, the anime, please. Anything. Please, oh, oh, mm, yeah, because that anime is beautiful, too. I love I, it. Well, I, I like that we both right off the bat named things that were adapted by uh, Osamu Dezaki. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, Dezaki is like one the of the goat. goats. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the other one, I would say, uh, technically is also a sports series, uh, but that would be Yawara, a fashionable judo girl. Yes! that. Oh my god, that was on my list too, and I didn't say it because I didn't want to go on too long, so yes! <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the anime is so good, which I would also love it if someone could finally release all of the anime, because uh, Anime Go tried at one point, and uh, people just didn't buy it, so they never finished uh- it. I have that first third of the series on DVD. <laughs> Me too. It's sitting right next to that one set of monster. <laughs> I, I I would like to think it's not impossible because we're getting so much Urasawa stuff. But I also know that like the incentive is that, you know, Urasawa like Ikeda is, is fairly like he and his people are pretty direct in what they want. And I, I have noticed the trend is you can only really have one Urasawa thing printing at a time. Um, yeah, that's that's something that like gets hotly disputed a lot. Um, but for whatever reason, like I just hope that maybe someday we get to the point where we can get that. Yep. Because uh, it I, I, be very everybody's happy. going. Everybody's going. Where's Billy Bat? But me, I want me and you. We want to see. Yabara! We want to see the fashionable judo girl take the yes. take the Atlanta Olympics. I do. I want it with all my heart because that anime is also really great and I would love to actually read the manga. 
It's because, so charming. Because everything I've seen with the manga is just so great. I want it. <laughs> Give it to me. Biz, please. Biz. Talk to your people. Please. Please, Biz. I would, I would, oh, I would love you all forever. I know I say that all the time when I want something, <laughs> but like for real this time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Kamen Librarian asks, what's a manga you'd like to see get the Kodansha, Akira, or Alita box set treatment? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say hi, Omar. Uh, Kamen Librarian is an old buddy of mine from the anime forum days. I Aww. And we recently reconnected because I was reading Amazon reviews of uh, Giant Robo, and he called me out by name in his oh. review. <laughs> so, like, because we used to talk about Giant Robo so much, so it's Aww. it's nice to hear from you, buddy. Um, boxes. Well, I, I so all those examples were Kodansha, and Kodansha yeah. seems to be the box set people. Um, so I thought about this, and. Really, the thing I want most from them is a thing they kind of already announced. I want to know more about what's going on with that uh, Katsuhiro Otomo The Complete Works thing they announced <gasps> back in 2018. Yeah, me too. Like, they announced it and then, like, nothing. Crickets. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of it might be held up because of, you know, the COVID. Current, current COVID thing. Uh, but, like... Also, it I, sounds like a thing that Otomo is like directly involved in, and he's involved in a yeah. lot of Akira stuff right now. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly, we're getting an Akira series, like or new anime. Like they weren't very clear; they were very vague about it. But like, uh, I would love a reprint of uh, Domu, a child's yes. dream, and like if you could get all of those cool short old Otomo things in like a box, that would be. Super cool. I would probably save up the money to spend on something like that. But so far, we haven't seen any more updates on it. There's been no more mentions since that comic convention. So, uh, yeah. But Um, yeah, I want to see Domu. I want to see World Apartment Horror. I want to see Fireball. I want to see all that stuff. Just give us everything. I I, Memories is in there probably somewhere. Yep. Uh, I have like... Weirdly enough, an Australian publisher published Memories in English like forever ago and i have a copy of that that i found online miraculously like years ago uh it's really good i i memories the the movie the 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 uh, anthology movie i actually like a little bit better because i think it works a little bit better that way but the the manga is really cool and uh i feel like people would probably be interested in reading the manga that it was based off of um Let's see. But I was trying to think specifically like a series box set. I mean, (laughs) if we're going to go like super big, I would love it if somehow someone could do a blackjack box set. Yep. I mean, I would buy that in a heartbeat. I would would even just slap it on my credit card. I wouldn't even look at the price. I would just be like, I need it. Give it to me, please. Oh, I have one more box set, too. Uh. I would love, uh, and it doesn't have to be a box set. It could be like one of those big hardcover things they're doing. But Lone Wolf and Cub is out of print again. Again. So so reprint them in those huge hardcovers you're doing for everything now, Dark Horse, and just give them to us. I know they they did a, what was it? Like, I think they called it like a museum collection of, I think, the first volume or something where... 
they printed like the the art pages. They, like, they did a they did a really cool art book, like a studio edition art book of like the last chapter. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. And it's it's just like every it's like it's like the the pictures the pages as they were and on the drawing table. Yes, yes, yeah. That's what I was. I thought it was like the first one, but you know, maybe I, I'm pretty one. sure it's it's the final duel at the end of the last book that they did it with. But you know, it's it's a cool looking book. I've I haven't I haven't owned it. I've like watched YouTube videos of people <laughs> flipping through it. Yeah, because it was really expensive. Oh yeah, it was like a hundred dollars. Like. Uh, which I mean, that's really cool. But uh, you know, it would be even cooler is like an actual reprint of the thing. Yep. Um, I would also love like a really cool fancy box set for like clamps stuff. Yeah. Like a like a card captor Sakura box set uh, instead of just releasing those weird individual oversized books that Kodansha's been doing lately, like, put it in a nice, pretty box. Like, because Dark Horse put it in, like, I think four omnibus volumes. And so, like, just make a box set with, like, four giant brick of a book. Like and... you did with Ray Earth. <laughs> yeah! Like, why not? I, and I'm sure they will eventually. Cause, but I, I, I do appreciate that Kodansha is all in on the hardcovers, even if they are a little expensive sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I do appreciate some of them have, like, you know, the digital versions. So that's, like, a little bit more affordable. Um, but I have said, like, I think I've mentioned this on Twitter. I do wish they had, like, the option of, like, a paperback copy and this really fancy version. Yes. Um, I know they're doing that with Sailor Moon soon. They're they're doing, like, a cheaper, smaller paperback version uh, to compare with, like, the really big, oversized, like, expensive Eternal editions, which is nice because, like, little girls deserve to be able to buy Sailor Moon. Yeah. Uh, which is why I hope they do the same with Cardcaptor Sakura at some point because like $30 a volume for Cardcaptor Sakura is like that's a lot uh, and it's made for little girls so <laughs> it's kind of hard to justify spending like close to $40 a volume for something and handing it to a kid when you can just hand them like four volumes of My Hero Academia or something. Yeah exactly. I totally went off on a tangent <laughs> but um, but yeah like I feel like there's a lot of really cool, like, older series that I would love to see get, like, a cool box set. I would love to see, like, some of Vermiko Takahashi's stuff get, like, a big, beautiful box set. If, But, like, not, obviously not one of her really long series, but something like, say, The Mermaid Saga. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know we're getting those, like, cool collector's editions, but, like, imagine if they were big hardcover. They they do them for Shonen Jump stuff. Yeah. And housed in a really pretty box, like they did with the, um, like the Utena manga. Mm -hmm. Like, that would be really cool. I would love that. But yeah, basically any of my favorites, put them in a box, make them really nice and pretty. I will want them. <laughs> I will stick them under my coffee table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't have any room now. Akira's taking up the whole thing. <laughs> like, what? Like, literally, I have to shimmy it under there because my coffee table is one of those just little small round things. So, like, I have to shimmy it in and shimmy it out. But, but it, it, you know, the, the dome of the nuclear explosion on the box is perfectly forming into the circle. Yes, it's so good. Oh, I love that set. Oh, it's kind of a shame, again, like, Akira is only available technically right now in that big fancy box set because... Uh, 
Another thing that like they should also have a paperback version of that's more affordable, but and they did for the longest time. So well, that was Dark Horse. Oh right, right. Yeah. Completely different publisher. Yeah, so, and those are uh, flipped. Ah, right on. Yeah. So the only way to read it unflipped is in that very expensive box, which is kind of sad. But anyway, again, I'm going on a tangent. Uh, Lom Ranmayasha asks, what classic manga most needs a re-release or retranslation? Dragon Ball. Yeah, um, Dragon Ball really needs a new translation. And um, there's, a, there's actually a few other Viz titles I would love to see a retranslation and a re-release for. Uh, Dragon Ball being like probably one of the top ones, obviously. Uh, but Yu Yu Hakusho severely needs a retranslation because uh, I don't know if it's just because this was uh, they released Yu Yu Hakusho at like a weird time where it was kind of like manga was stepping into a more like, you know, digital age where we were, you know, editing and translating stuff via computers more. But I, I guess because it was also being released in their Shonen Jump magazine, like their print magazine that was going on, they toned down a lot of the language, uh, and it just sounds really off. Uh, like Yusuke saying like just weird, old timey sort of slang just sounds bizarre and doesn't really fit, in my opinion. And. Um, Especially if, especially if the audience who's already into Yu Hakusho is growing up with like the dub on Funimation and stuff, like it's yeah, it's it's a it's, contrast in approaches. Yeah, it's it's very different, and also I think it was the Manga Machinations podcast. Actually, they did a read through, and um, the host he can read Japanese, so he was reading the Japanese volumes when they were going through their read through and he was comparing it to Viz's translation. And he pointed out, there's a lot of stuff that they just flat out translated wrong. Mm. And he doesn't, and he, and like, you know, I also wouldn't know, but he wasn't sure if it was just a matter of, you know, deciding like, well, we think this sounds better or if somebody was just mistaken or, you know, it's just an old translation. So maybe, you know, whoever did the rewrites on it, you know, it just didn't fit super great. Um, but there's like whole chunks where he's like, yeah, this is translated very strangely. And I never really noticed that until I went back and looked at parts of it. And I was like, yeah, when you pointed out, this doesn't make a lot of sense here or there. And so I would love to have somebody go back and retranslate the whole thing to be a little bit more modern and up to date. Uh, because Yu Yu Hakusho is like one of my favorite series. I love that to death. Um, <laughs> again, one of the reasons I didn't include it is because I've already done a podcast about it, telling you how much I love it. Uh, but not too long ago, they republished it in Japan in like, you know, newer volumes, like omnibus volumes uh, with new cover art. So it would be a perfect time to, <laughs> you know, retranslate and re-release them in cool new omnibus versions. Yay! Um, I would love that. Another title, uh, again, another Viz title that I would love to see get a retranslation, but probably won't, would be Banana Fish. 
especially because um, we just got those reprints and yeah they basically just reprinted the old ones uh they didn't like go back and work on the translation or anything and um the original translator um rachel thorne uh says that she wishes she could go back and retranslate it because she would do it differently now and uh i think that says a lot when the translator is like yeah i, I really would redo this <laughs> there would be a different approach now that there was in, in the mm-hmm. 90s yeah and i think it's mostly because like if you've read or I guess, even seen the anime adaptation, there is a lot of, you know, really heavy stuff that goes on in that uh, series. So I could see why, you know, sometimes maybe the wording that we used for certain things in the past might not have aged super great. So it would be cool if we could, but I think, you know, the popularity of that has waned a lot. So I don't know if Viz would ever consider that just because, like... You know, Banana Fish's time is kind of past. It's come, it's come and gone, and we got the reprints because of the anime, and now yeah. that's done. Probably not, but yeah. it would be nice. It would be nice. Uh, um, and, and, and just to further the point real quick on Dragon Ball, just a lot of curious decisions made uh, regarding scripts and character names and choices. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, there is a great built-in reason with it being one of the most popular manga of all time. It would be an easy resell if you do another edition. I think that the fans of the series would love to see a new translation. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a little closer to the intent. And also, you have the built-in reason of the, unfortunately, the the original rewriter whose material is still there was Gerard Jones, uh, convicted for uh, you know a, a six-year sentence for possession, uh, in, you know, strong possession of uh, child pornography, like tens of thousands of images and things. Very upsetting. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, you know, and just doing the rest of it, I, I would love to see his contribution to the series erased. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the reasons I was really excited that Meizani um, Koku got retranslated. And Urasei Yatsura, right? I think he might have had a hand in that one, too. Uh, I think I think he worked on some of the early ones, but not the whole thing. Same with Meizani Koku. Like, he didn't work on the whole series, but uh uh, he did work on a good chunk of it, so his name was there. So I'm glad and, to see that gone. <laughs> and, and I'll do respect to anybody else that worked on that translation, because I know that there were more than just him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just I just think there's a lot of valid reasons to go back and redo a Dragon Ball, and I think it would be I think it'd be a good financial call for them. You know, oh yeah. I, and I, and I don't know anything either. I don't. I want to preface this by saying, like, I don't really know anything about the industry. I'm not privy to secret details or anything. Oh, but, same. But but given given the like the really weird stuff that keeps happening with Funimation and Dragon Ball Blu-rays, I do wonder if there's just some weird uh, industry side to Dragon Ball not being always presented in the ideal way. I don't know. Yeah, it's really hard to say because, like you said, we don't know. We don't work for any of these companies, so it's like you know, your best guess is as good as ours. But but I you know just I do know that sometimes like what Japan wants and what America wants on these things are not always perfectly yeah. aligned. <laughs> Two completely different things. I mean, I feel like on we're the still business end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I still feel that we're insanely lucky that they gave us another chance to do JoJo's Bizarre Adventures because. Yeah. Uh, the first time it was not popular here at all. <laughs> and and would and speaking of JoJo's, would I love to see a version with the proper band names and stuff? Yes. Do I understand why they're not going to do that? Also, yes. Oh yeah, same. Plus, I mean, uh, Araki was given ideas for new names, and he approved of all of them. 
there you go. So it's it's not like we're doing it's not like Viz is reprinting these without his consent on the names or whatever he wrote he wrote off on all of them he was like yes this is fine so I mean if it's if it's okay enough for a Rocky it's okay enough for me you know I I, I still want to say I have no idea how the hell they got away with changing Oingo Boingo to Zenyatta Mandata after the Police album but right I, it it is what it is. <laughs> We do have one more question, but uh, I think this is a good one to end on. Uh, so No Chorus asks, what's the best stop? You're reading the wrong way. End of the manga front page warning. So uh, I'll just I'll just go ahead and say the one I already listed under that, which is uh, the picture of the violator clown from the Spawn manga adaptation. <laughs> uh, that was pretty funny. I, I, I like that one just because, you know, it. Of course, it was written in that time, but it like it assumes that you are a huge fan of Spawn who has never looked at a manga before, and yeah. it's kind of it's kind of written in that style. And maybe that's a fair assumption, but I also think that like anybody who's super into Spawn uh, also reads manga, and I say that as a kid that was really into Spawn <laughs> at that time. So, you know. I mean, same. <laughs> Any anyone who like perused a comic shop back when Spawn was, like, a thing, probably read Spawn for at least a little while. Yeah, I mean, you you at least admired the cape and thought that Michael Jai White is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, my pick for that would be uh, when Viz did the reprints of Ronma One Half, they smartly put uh, Ryoga, the eternally lost boy, on the back page. Ah, that's cute. To tell you, you were reading the wrong way. And I thought that was the cutest thing ever. <laughs> I'm a fan of that. That's good. Right? I mean, huge pats on the back to whoever thought that idea. Because I see you and I and I thank you. Because that was just... It, get, it gave me a really good chuckle uh, when I cracked open that first omnibus <laughs> when it finally came in the mail. I was like, oh, this is cute. <laughs> Also, also real quick, shout out to uh, the question asker, No Chorus, who is who, who has done like a lot of great limited series podcasts. Um, I know he just finished uh, a, a, a th I want to say, God, it was as many days as in Halloween. I think there's like 30 episodes of just found footage horror that were all done in the month of October. Uh, he's done some like previous crime movie podcasts and stuff uh, called All Units. Uh, just a, a good limited series podcaster who has really interesting opinions about media. So recommend. Oh, nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to all you listeners who asked questions for us to answer. And also many thanks to those who left me tips this month on Kofi, including hey. Boobly, Asahina Farisu, I hope I'm saying that right, Command Librarian, and several folks who wish to remain anonymous. Thank you all so much for your generosity. I really appreciate it especially in these hard times when I know that, uh, you know, we don't always have a lot of funds. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot to me. Uh, if you want to get a shout out on the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as they are, all you have to do is go to my Kofi account and leave me a tip of two or more coffees. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com as well as at animenostalgia.tumblr.com where you can also find other relevant links to this episode as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Stitcher, Google, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you just want to send me your thoughts and comments directly or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I do promise that I read every email that I get. My amazing theme song music was made by Carobit. You can find more of Carobit's music at twitter.com slash Carobit. Uh, once again, Casey, thank you so much for coming back after all this time. I promise that it won't be another five years until I have you back on again. <laughs> That is a promise. Well, I, I will gladly accept, uh, you know, any any return that you need from me or anything you think I'd be uh, good for. Uh, you can, <laughs> in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Manovsky Article. Uh, you can send any inquiries my way at Manovsky Article at gmail.com, which is a new email I just opened up this week. Ooh. Uh, and uh, I don't really have anything else to plug. So I'm just going to plug that if you... If for whatever reason you decided to listen because I was in this episode, I, I advise you to stick around and listen to more of the Anime Nostalgia podcast. Don has been doing a great job on the show for so long, uh, and, and I don't think that she gets as much credit as she should from this community. So I uh, highly advise that you, you keep listening, you go back to the archives, and you give her a follow on Twitter. Aww, <laughs> that's so sweet. Thank you. I, I do, you know, I recently went back because I was looking. I was like, when was the last time I had Casey on? It's been so long. And it was the Vampire Hunter D episode that we did. Good grief. I feel like it's still really good. I feel like we had a lot of really great conversations about the world of Vampire Hunter D, if that interests you all. But yes, thank you again so much for coming on. It's been super fun to just nerd out about manga Oh, and uh, in this like sort of chill vibe of a podcast. And I hope yeah. that you, the listeners, had fun just hanging out with us while we gush about manga. So until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay home. Wash your hands. Wear your masks. Read we'll good comics. <laughs> yes, read good manga. And we'll see you next time. Gonna stop recording. Bloop.